Jiminy Crickets. Jiminy Cricket is the name. I'm a happy-go-lucky fellow. Always getting in wrong for singing my song. A merry old soul am I. Jiminy Cricket is the name. I'll be hanging around this evening. I'll be tipping my hat and telling you that. Jiminy Cricket is the name. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Dateline, August 2023. How are you, Ruthie? I'm doing great, Chris. How are you? Well, I'm doing great. And a mecca lecca hi, mecca hiney ho to you. <laughs> because this week we're going to be paying tribute to uh, Paul Rubens, otherwise known as Pee Wee Herman. And I'm also going to share with you my recent trip to the Pacific Northwest Mouse Meet just outside of Seattle. And we have a very special top quote unquote 10 question mark. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, before we get to all that, we have a very special announcement. Dateline Jiminy Crickets proudly endorses Concierge Vacation Planners, a Disney-authorized specialty vacation planning service. Concierge doesn't just book your trip, they walk you through the entire process, helping you plan out every detail, one-on-one, -on -one, to make the very most out of your vacation while saving you both time and money. And the best part is, they charge nothing for their services. You will get the exact same pricing as if you booked your vacation directly through Disney. But in using Concierge expertise, you've got the added bonus of having your very own personal Disney Guru Planner by your side. Both Ruthie and I are also satisfied customers, and we just can't recommend them enough. Visit their website at www.concierge.com. That's www.concierz.com, as in mouse ears. So when you book your next Disney vacation, be it Walt Disney World, Disneyland, the Disney Cruise Line, or many of the other Disney destinations available worldwide, contact Concierge Vacation Planners, and be sure to tell them Disney Chris sent you. Again, we could not limit the category to just 10 entries. So we have a surprise for you. It's not a top 10, it's a top 15. <laughs> so before uh, we get started on it, I want to explain a few things so you understand our perspective on this. So, this is a, kind of a strange 
thing to call a top 15 list. Top 15 Disney things. So, this is not like our usual top 15 where Ruthie and I do it from our perspective. In this instance, we're trying to do it from what we feel, Ruthie and I feel, is the perspective of all Disney fans as a conglomerate, like averaging Disney fandom, because this is top 15 Disney things that Disney fans love about Disney. So this, for a change, is not necessarily Ruthie and I's perspective, but this is us trying to channel the entire fandom and kind of see it through the eyes of the average fans, you know, as a whole. So, mm -hmm. if it was Ruthie and I, it would probably be in a different order. And if it was just me or just Ruthie, it would probably mm -hmm. also be in a different order. So please keep that in mind. Like, mm -hmm. we would rank things differently if it was just us. This is what we feel is probably the order that if you took a poll of all Disney fans, this is how it would wind up. So these are Disney things that Disney fans love about Disney. So are you ready to get started? Yes, let's do it. Okay, so the first one is what, Ruthie? So the first one we have here on the list is cast members. Mm -hmm. And we have that, obviously, because, you know, cast members help to make a Disney experiences, you know, above and beyond just the normal situation that you're going into. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not just cast members at the park, because basically anybody that works for a Disney company is considered a cast member. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, we just, you know, there was a quality of customer service that Walt um, set up from the beginning and uh you know and then it continues to this day hopefully i mean i know there's exceptions but for the most part you know the standards are still there mm -hmm. and you know um the cast members are there to help make you know your experience better than than what it would could be just naturally and um you know the i know that they um you just never know when somebody is visiting the park or having a Disney experience for the first time. And that is something that, you know, the cast members keep in mind when they're interacting with everybody. So, you know, that's why it's, it definitely helps to make a, you know, set the Disney experiences apart from other, you know, theme parks or experiences that you're um, paying for. And I had to include Maynard. Yes, in definitely. The collage. <laughs> <laughs> Even though he no longer works there, but yes fondly remembered cast members. Yes, so the next category is food slash snacks. And these are some of them probably the most talked about and beloved or hated in one instance. <laughs> Disney foods. So we've got the Dole Whip, which is probably the top of my list. And the beignets, previously known as what, Ruthie? Oh, my mind is blanking. Because <laughs> I've mentioned this before. Mm -hmm. They didn't used to be Mickey-shaped. They used to be just a big... Like, they were huge. They weren't little mm -hmm. like that. When you ordered it, it was one gigantic ball. 
mm-hmm. hollow ball of fried dough. And it was called a New Orleans fritter. Oh, that's right. Mm-hmm. And eventually they became beignets. So, the next one is what, Ruthie? Because I know you love this one. <laughs> the turkey leg. Yes, smoked mm-hmm. turkey leg. <laughs> you either love it or you hate it. There's yeah. only, you know, there's no middle ground. And then, of course, the Mickey pretzel, the Mickey ice cream bar, and the famous churro. Do you know where they first served churros, Ruthie? At Disneyland? Videopolis. It was a thing they added when Videopolis opened. Mm. And it became so popular. And there was only one cart right outside Mm -hmm. the theater. And the line stretched all the way down through Fantasyland for this Mm. one cart. So they started adding carts. And now you know the rest of the story. Yeah. (laughs) So what's the next one, Ruthie? Number 13. Um, just before we move on to this, for foods, I mean, obviously it's not limited to those pictures. It, you know, Disney, it, they they take the time to put out different types of foods for different events and, and you know, holidays and things like that. So it, it's definitely part of the experience when it comes to a Disney park, a Disney experience. Again, not just the parks, but of course this is predominantly at the parks, but, you know, just experiencing the type of food and things that they're constantly rotating in and out. So that's always like part of the fun of experiencing Disney, which is why we included it. But here, the next one we have, this is really social media, although these are listed like, you know, there's like a website and mostly like podcasts listed here, but it's all of that. It's all of the interaction that you have with Disney on social media. So it's even like, you know, um, chat rooms and you know, when you're interacting with other um, people that also enjoy Disney and things like that, that's what this um, section is here. And that's definitely a fun thing that we um, like to enjoy um, with fandom and things like that. And, you know, of course, Chris and I are, are um, enjoy being a part of that as well. Okay, number 12 is vacations. Not to be confused with the parks this is actually the resort aspect of disney um stays so we've got the cruise lines we have lounging isn't that the the water parks the water parks too or no that's just a pool at a hotel okay and then the contemporary one of the many resorts at disney world the disneyland hotel Another Disney World Resort, the Grand Floridian, and then Alani in mm-hmm. Hawaii. So I think, I mean, for me, the, the this is out of reach. But for wealthier Disney fans, this is a big part of why they love Disney. Mm-hmm. This is more yeah, aspirational for me because I don't, <laughs> I don't think I'll ever stay. I mean, I did stay at the Disneyland Hotel in the '80s when I was 10 years old, but. Unless I win the lottery, I don't know that I'll ever be staying there mm-hmm. anytime soon. <laughs> so, well, just... one thing about these vacations is that Disney does a really good job of trying to, um, you know, create an environment where you can just be in the Disney bubble, and then these are all part of that. You know, staying at at a resort and being next to the parks, and and not ever really having to leave, just being 
being able to experience Disney 24-7. Okay, so what's next, Ruthie? Next one is TV. And, of course, you know, we all know that this started in 1954 with um, Walt Disney's Disneyland TV show and has progressed from there but i mean it's i mean all the way up to like having the disney channel and now disney plus um you know all of these different um tv experiences this is actually the probably the easiest way that anybody had anything disney in their uh you know purview so you the easiest way to 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 experience mickey was to watch him on tv on some some level depending on how you know, it was being shown and what time period we're talking about. But, um, you know, because it was free, you can just turn on your TV and, and watch him. Well, and the Disney is... Channel wasn't always free. No, I mean, I'm talking <laughs> about before that. Oh. You know, before the Disney Channel. Oh. Not, 19, not in 1983, but even before that. You know, watching Walt, watching Disney movies on TV when they're replaying them, you know, things like that. This is all the easiest way that people were able to interact with Disney. Next is history. A lot of Disney fans really love studying and learning about the history and lore behind the Walt Disney Company. So I included some milestone moments here in Disney history. This is Walt Disney's first Academy Award and he's standing with his brother Roy and this was for the this is a special award for the creation of Mickey Mouse awarded in 1932. It was actually awarded the same year he got an Oscar for Flowers in the Trees. So it's you could say it's a second or first it's kind of tied with Flowers and mm -hmm. Trees. And then, of course, the special uh, award he received for Snow White, presented to him by Shirley Temple. This was back when the Academy Awards was a banquet. Mm -hmm. And then um, El Grupo, Walt's travels to South America, and the development and creation of Disneyland, and then the crazy production of Mary Poppins with Pamela Travers. <laughs> That's mm -hmm. a very interesting piece of Disney history. And then the development of audio animatronics. So I thought those were kind of fun, key moments in Disney history that I thought it would be good to include in a collage of Disney history. So, what's next, Ruthie? So, our next is Artist. Before, so you is... before you continue, yes, this is Artist. This is by no means every Disney artist. These no. are just no. some, some of the big ones, but there are mm -hmm. other big ones not pictured. So, yeah. if your favorite isn't here, don't be offended. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Not intentional. Yeah. Um, and pretty much, I think most of these all started as animation artists and... Not all of them, but most of these became Imagineers as well. Well, you know, most, so they started... most of them worked, if they weren't specifically animators, they worked within the field of, like in the case of Mary Blair, she was not an animator, but she worked on animation right. backgrounds and concept sketches. So, yes. the right. o There's only one person pictured here who never had anything to do with animation personally can you tell me who that is 
Alice Davis. Oh, uh, Alice Davis. Yeah. <laughs> and the pirate standing next right. to her. Right. And Jiminy Cricket. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and Pinocchio. Yeah. And the Tiki. So, this kind of this topic kind of goes along with history because you know these you know none of these people most of these people are not no longer alive. I think Floyd Norman is the only one who is alive, and yes, um, he true. doesn't work for Disney anymore. No. Um, but I mean he still does draw and things like that, and you'll see him at conventions. But you know this this is also another topic of history that people like to um, you know study and and you know research when it comes to the Disney company so you know definitely these people all contributed it's not 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 only about Walt these people also you know help make Disney what we know today so pictured is Raleigh Crump Mary Blair Ward Kimball Mark Davis and Alice Davis um, Frank Thomas and Ollie Johnson and Floyd Norman just in case you were wondering Yes. If you didn't already know. <laughs> so the next uh, thing is Disney acquisitions. So these are intellectual properties that did not start out as Disney, but they have been absolved, eaten up by Disney. I would say incorporated. <laughs> yeah, they've become Disney through financial acquisition. Yeah, yeah. So, we've got the Marvel Universe, Pixar, Star Wars films, Fox, which is a recent acquisition, probably the most recent, the Muppets, and then Indiana Jones. And Indiana Jones and Star Wars are kind of one and the same thing, but... Yeah. Two, Two different intellectual properties, both under the window of Lucasfilms. So, even though I would put this much lower on my list, just to say, and Ruthie might put it higher on her list, um, a lot of Disney fans love these aspects that are now part of Disney. So, mm -hmm. right. even though I don't even consider it, I might consider Pixar Disney. Just because from the beginning they've been working alongside Disney, like mm -hmm. um, Toy Story was a co-production between Disney and Pixar. So, but other than that, when I think of these things, I don't think, oh, that's Disney. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, yeah. Anyway, what's next on the list, Ruthie? Our next topic is collecting. And Disney is such a, a vast company with all of these different, um, you know, types of things that come out that you can pretty much collect anything. Um, and th these pictures are just some of the things that you can collect, which is like stuffed animals, vinyl characters, which actually I don't think they're making those anymore. Um, records or music of some sort it doesn't necessarily have to be uh, vinyl records. Um, you know, Funko Pops pins pin trading is a huge thing you know so all of these types of um of collecting items are all just being part of the disney fandom and you know for me it's it's books i love having books about disney um anytime a new one comes out i'm getting it and um and then you know i collect a couple of other things here or there 
but really I think books is my biggest thing. So, um, I, I used to collect records, but now I, I'm more into just the music and not the physical mm -hmm. albums itself. I've gotten rid of most of my Disney records. I've kept a few that are kind of in very good condition and valuable. I've given a few away to people I know that collect them. And I, I'm not into the Funko Pop. I mean, I, I think they're cute and I admire them, but I, I can't start collecting something like that. It's there's no end in sight to it. So. Right, there isn't. <laughs> I've never been into pins, but there's a whole fandom that that's mm -hmm. their main thing with Disney is the pin collecting aspect. I have a few Disney stuffed animals as they used to call them i guess they say plush now because stuffed yeah. animals sounds kind of yikes <laughs> but when i was a kid we called them stuffed animals mm -hmm. um probably i relate mostly to the one on the top left because i do collect mickey stuff so i'm not even sure what that one and the second one over are those those little thumb that's th little no that's vinylmation Oh, Vinylmation. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. So, and I looked for one for you, Ruthie, of books, but I couldn't find a collage of Disney books Oh, yeah, anywhere. that's fine. That's fine. Because I knew that was what your thing that you collect is mm -hmm. before. Okay, so the next one is Disney characters. So there's different aspects to Disney characters. One being kind of the autograph hound aspect in the parks of trying to find the rare characters and getting autographs and photos with all of them and that is one part of the fandom but another part is just the love of the characters in their original animated or movie form as well like there's people that are fans of Tinkerbell and they collect Tinkerbell stuff you know, mm -hmm. I tried to include in this collage um, ones that a lot of people collect. Like, a lot of people collect Alice in Wonderland. A lot of people collect, myself included, like the, the Fab Five. A lot of people collect Pop, Mary Poppins. I kind of included Pinocchio because I love this picture more than because people collect Pinocchio. I'm sure people do, but it's not like a big area of collectors. Um, Winnie the Pooh is a big... A lot of people are into Pooh. <laughs> pun not intended. Pun not intended. <laughs> and then the princesses, of course, is a big thing. Especially with younger... Uh, people on the feminine side of the persuasion, they're into the princesses. So, number five. I think we're talking about these wrong, Ruthie. Like, the acquisition should have been yours to talk yeah, about. Yeah, I know. And this one <laughs> this should have been, been mine. Yours. Yeah, but go <laughs> yeah. ahead. <laughs> All right, this is Disney music. Of course, you know, this is... Uh, a huge area of the Disney company that is, you know, another thing that's very accessible to a lot of people 
and it's it's either free or um, very little money that you need to invest to it's have Disney free music on in my your website. Life. You can go to right, DisneyChris.com right. and listen to tons of Disney music anytime for free. Right, and this is just something that people, you know, like if you're just feeling down, you can go to Chris's website, pop on one of your favorite songs, and then you just feel like okay. I'm a kid again. I, I remember walking in the park and listening to this song, or I remember riding this attraction, or I remember watching this movie in the theater and for the first time hearing, you know, When You Wish Upon a Star or something like that. You know, this is definitely something that just instantly transports you into the Disney world. So this definitely had to be on here. So when I was making this collage, I overlaid Mickey with his baton and it was sticking out and I thought oh that looks cool I think I'll just leave it like that <laughs> you see how his baton is yes mm -hmm. yeah so yeah Sherman Brothers Howard Ashman and what's the other guy's name it's Alan Menken Alan Menken and Howard Ashman Stykowski and from Fantasia and records which now I guess it's CD and downloading but same concept it's, you know, acquisition and Disney music to listen to at leisure. And, of course, the beginnings of Disney from Steamboat Willie forward have all been tied to music greatly. So, mm -hmm. the next one is Disney movies in all its many forms, animation, live action, comedy, musicals, science fiction... 2D animation, 3D animation. I only included Disney films here, but you could also say all the different franchises, which now... But we kind of covered that when we did the acquisitions, so... Mm -hmm. But this right. is specifically the Disney library, the Walt Disney Company-specific films. Of course, the very mm -hmm. first being Snow White, and Ruthie and I's favorite Disney movie, at least live-action... Mm -hmm. And I would probably say favorite live action or otherwise for me personally. I, I can't speak for Ruthie. I don't know. It might be. I don't know. But I've never really asked her. Is this <laughs> your favorite? Is Mary Poppins your favorite mo movie of all Disney genres? or? Yes, of all Disney movies, yes. Not my favorite movie of all time ever. No, 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 no. Well, yeah. for me, it is my favorite Disney movie and yeah. my favorite movie, period, of mm -hmm. any movie. Mm -hmm. So, and then the love bug, of course, and Tron, the Lion King, and uh, Frozen. I tried to pick ones that were big box office. Well, Tron really wasn't a big box office hit, but it was so innovative and different. Mm -hmm. I wanted to time. include it. Yeah. yeah so, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so anyway, moving along, the next category is what, Ruthie? Animation. Mm-hmm. And so this is just beyond movies, because of course you know mm -hmm. Disney did a lot of short. And it's and not like just that. the the movies themselves; it's the right the creation, the production, all aspects of behind mm -hmm. the scenes goings on mm -hmm. with the animation. Yeah, another area of innovation that you know mm -hmm. Walt, you know, created you know the multiplane camera for for animation, so that um, you know we could have more dimension dimension when we're 
watching his animated films and things like that. I mean, Walt wasn't the one who invented the camera, but it was um, for the Walt Disney Company. Um, so, you know, just the, the way that the Disney Company as a whole has um, made animation into an actual art form and, you know, just been able to to push the boundaries of animation beyond anything that we could have ever thought of. You know, it all started with Walt Disney. So, you it know, we started definitely with have to Walt watch. Disney and a mouse. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, technically a rabbit, but that's another yes. story. Oswald the lucky rabbit. But yeah, I mean, so all of that, um, you know, uh, he, he was definitely a genius in this area, and so this is, you know, one of the main reasons that we think of Disney is we think of animated, you know, creations of some sort. So we definitely have to have that here. So our number two is the Disney parks, specifically the theme parks now. We're not talking mm -hmm. about the resorts. We're talking about the actual parks themselves. Mm -hmm. So I have shown here every Disney castle. Mm -hmm. So we've got, um, and they go up, down, up, down, up, down for the order, chronological. So we've got mm -hmm. Sleeping Beauty Castle in California, the original Cinderella Castle in Florida, and then the Cinderella Castle in Japan, which is almost the same as the one in Florida, but it's a mm -hmm. little bit smaller and it's colored slightly differently. And then we have the castle in Disneyland Paris. And then we have the one in Hong Kong, which used to be the same as the one in California, but they've recently added to it. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how you feel about it, Ruthie, but I think it looks weird. It looks <laughs> like you can still see the castle in front of it. Right, and the it, original, and then yeah, they built it onto it. Yeah, it, they didn't blend it together well. I don't. Well, think. I think they could fix that if they just changed the coloring. But uh, may, yeah. maybe I don't know. Yeah. It, but and then of course the Shanghai Disneyland, the most recent castle. Mm -hmm. So yes, this is one of the biggest reasons why Disney fans love Disney is the parks, but. Mm -hmm. The number one, and this would definitely be number one for me as well, and I think everyone would probably agree, mm -hmm. unless they're very young, they may not right. know a lot about this thing, but that would be what, Ruthie? Of course, Walt Disney. There would be mm -hmm. no Disney company without Walt Disney. Right. So, you know, I mean, and even if you're very young, I feel like it's your... Uh, the people in your family, it's their responsibility to introduce you to Walt so that you know who he is. And, you know, if you're going to the parks, um, you need to understand where these are, where all of these ideas came from. And it's all from this man's brain right here. I feel um, like, because I was a Disney fan as a kid, but my parents couldn't give two rats behinds about Disney. <laughs> so I had to find it all out on my own. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. if kids today are in the same situation, they might not know a lot about Walt Disney. They might love the right. movies and the parks, but because their parents aren't interested in it, they're not going to pressure them to know more. Mm -hmm. So that's Well, that's why, why I... we're here, though. We yeah. do podcasts and things like yeah. that, talk about right. the history, 
you know, there's not just us, but other other places too. You know, we talk about Walt all the time. That's why there's a Walt statue in a lot of the parks, not every park. But, um, you know, we, we need to remember that Walt was the reason why these were started and still exist today. And so he's the number one. Speaking of legendary legends in the field of entertainment, let's move on to our next topic. to do a special tribute right now to the recently deceased, way too soon, Paul Rubens, otherwise known as Pee Wee Herman. And you might be saying, but he wasn't Disney. But as you will find out, he crossed ties with Disney on numerous occasions throughout Mm -hmm. his career. And also, you'd be hard-pressed to find a Disney fan who is not also a Pee Wee Herman fan. Because it's the same, you know, philosophy of entertainment. So, you know, they kind of go hand in hand. So we thought that it would be more than appropriate for us to go over the career and legacy of the late Paul Rubens. So, Ruthie... Do you want to start us out with the beginning of the story? 
Yes, let's do it. Okay. So right. Paul Rubens was actually born Paul Rubenfeld in Peekskill, New York on August 27, 1952. And he grew up in a Jewish family in Sarasota, Florida, where his parents, Judy and Milton, owned a lamp store. He also has two younger siblings, um, Luke, who was born in 1958 and who he is a dog trainer, and Abby, born in 1953, who's an attorney. So as a child, Rubens frequently, um, he frequented the Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus, whose winter headquarters were in Sarasota. So this is definitely an inspiration for him, the circus, which you can see in his uh, work. Um, the circus atmosphere sparked Rubens' interest in entertainment and influenced his later work, like I said. He also loved to work to watch reruns of I Love Lucy, which made him want to make people laugh. And at the age of five, he asked his father to build him a stage where he and his siblings would act out plays. And I think that's kind of um, funny because uh, me, I have a, a younger brother and sister as well, and we didn't build a, we didn't do it on a stage, but we would put shows together all the time where we would be lip syncing and acting out things. So, you know, I just think that this is like a common thing that children do when they have, you know, siblings, they get together and put shows on. Mm -hmm. um, he attended Sarasota High School where he was named president of the National Thespian Society. He was accepted into Northwestern University's summer program for gifted high school students. He joined the local a solo theater, players of Sarasota Theater, and appeared in several plays. So he was definitely interested in acting and performing if in through high school, not just at a, a young age, but that continued. Mm -hmm. And then after he graduated high school, he attended Plymouth State University for one semester before attending Boston University, after which he began auditioning for acting schools. And then after that, he, um, when he started act, um, actually auditioning for these acting schools, he was turned down several times, including turn, he was turned down from Juilliard twice. Oh no, twice by Carnegie Mellon University and also Juilliard. But what, where he ended up actually going was California Institute of the Arts, which is also known as Cal Arts. Um, and so he moved to California to attend that school and he worked in restaurants and as a fuller brush salesman while he attended school. Mm -hmm. All right, so now he's in California. He's no longer in Florida. Um, and we're in the late 70s now. So that was, um, you know, up through like mid 70s. Um, so this is kind of where he, um, from performing and, you know, acting and things like that, he kind of, um, you know, grows his love of comedy and he be he begins performing at local comedy clubs starting in in 1977 and he made 14 guest appearances on the gong show four of which as a part of a boy, boy girl act he had developed with charlotte mckinnis called the hilarious betty and eddie and that's, you know, the gong show was like a crazy game show where people, you know, dressed up and had characters and acts to, to get noticed. So that was one of the things that, you know, kind of helped him to, you know, develop more comedy. And then he also joined the uh, improvisational comedy team called the Groundlings, which is based in L.A. Mm -hmm. 
and he was a troop member in this uh, team for six years. And he worked with people like Bob McClurg, John Paragon, Susan Barnes, and Phil Hartman. You guys will recognize that name. And um, Hartman and um, Rubens became friends, and they often wrote and worked on material together while they were in the groundlings. groundlings. But this is also where the character of Pee Wee Herman originated was while he was with this troupe. And it was during a 1978 improvisation exercise with the Groundlings where he came up with the idea of a man who wanted to be a comic, but was so inept at telling jokes that it was obvious to the audience that he would never make it. And also um, part of the reason why he, he developed this character, I, I watched some interviews with him recently, and it was because he had an actual hard time remembering jokes. So rather than trying to force himself to memorize things and, you know, kind of that would end up being a lot, a lot more robotic. He just decided to turn his inability to, to remember things into the actual character. So that's where it started. Mm-hmm. And later, um, Phil Hartman, his fellow groundling, helped Rubens develop the character while another groundling, John Paragon, helped write this uh, this character into a show. Um, and you guys will recognize John Paragon is actually the actor who plays Jombie in um, the the Pee-wee's Playhouse. Mm-hmm. So despite being compared to other famous characters such as Tintin and Pinocchio, Ruben said that there was no specific source for Pee-wee other than a collection of ideas. And he or actually originated, originated the voice in 1970 when he appeared in a production of Life with Father where he was cast as one of the most obnoxious characters in the play. For this role, Rubens adopted a cartoon-like way of speaking whose voice became Pee-wee's. And you know, you you guys know the voice of Pee-wee, where he's like, I meant to do that. You know, there's, he's kind of... I um, know you are, but what am I? <laughs> so he's being obnoxious, but in a cartoon way as well. Mm-hmm. So you you know, you, you know what I'm talking about here. Mm-hmm. Um... And Pee-wee's first name come, came from a one-inch Pee-wee brand harmonica Rubens had as a child. And the surname Herman was the last name of an energetic boy he knew from his youth. So, <laughs> and then the last thing we're missing for Pee-wee's persona there is the gray suit, um, which was handmade for Groundlings director and founder Gary Austin, who passed it on to Rubens. And the origin of the red tie is not as clear, but he claimed, um, Rubens claimed that someone handed him the little kid bow tie before a performance. So there we have the Pee Wee persona <clears throat> that he created. And then he started actually um, working in film as well. Some as Pee Wee, some not. Um, in 1980, he had a small part as a waiter in the Blues Brothers. So this was not as Pee Wee. And then also in 1980, he played the Pinball City proprietor in the Disney film Midnight Madness. And that's what you can see on the top here. Um, also, he was in his Pee-wee, but I mean, he looks very Pee-wee-esque there. Um, but Pee-wee Herman made his first on-screen debut in 1980, also in the film Cheech and Chong's Next Movie. And then he appeared again in 1981 in Cheech and Chong's Nice Dreams, their next film. And in that film, he was um, accredited as Hamburger Dude. Uh-huh. 
And then in 19, from 1980 to 1981, he provided the voice of Freaky Frankenstone on the Flintstone Comedy Hour as part of the Frankenstone segments. Mm-hmm. So this, you know, this was a cartoon show that, you know, it wasn't just one storyline of one of the Frank, of the Flintstones going well, through. Well, the Frankenstones were the, the neighbors, the next door neighbors of the Flintstones. They mm-hmm. moved in next door mm. and they would go over there and kind of comment on how weird they were and, mm-hmm. but uh, definitely inspired by the Adams family and the monsters and the monsters yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. alright so now we are in the early 80s um, from 1981 to 1984 this is kind of where he's really you know honing in on the on the character of Pee Wee Herman and really developing um, how we would known him, known him, you know, later on. So, but before that, he actually auditioned for Saturday Night Live in the for the 1980-81 season on the same day as comedian Gilbert Gottfried. Um, and Go- Go- Gilbert Gottfried was the one who got the job, and not Paul Rubens. But Paul Rubens commented that um, he told. Um, Entertainment Weekly that hiring both was not an option because he felt that they were the same type of performer Uh and knew immediately Godfried would get their job. Uh He also told the San Francisco Chronicle he believed that the fix was in (laughs) because Uh Godfried was friends with one of the producers. Uh And this actual, this rejection actually made him so angry that he just decided to borrow money and start his own show, which led to the P. Herman show in 1981. So again, he's still with the groundlings, you know, the help of his other groundling people that I mentioned before, John Paragon, Phil Hartman, and Lynn Marie Stewart. He acquired a small group of followers as as Pee Wee and took his show to Roxy Theater, where the Pee Wee Herman show ran for five sellout months, doing midnight shows for adults and weekly matinees for children. And... One of the performances at the Roxy was actually filmed, and it was aired on HBO in 1981 as part of their series On Location, and this was where he first got his, like, national um, recognition. Uh-huh. And, and then, I, um, I saw that special, because we had HBO in the early 80s, so I mm-hmm. saw that when it was a brand new special, and I was like, what is all this? Yeah. <laughs> And the other thing that at that time HBO would would be constantly replaying things, so this thing uh-huh. aired over, uh, and, over, over and over and over again. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So um, as his fame started to grow, he Rubens, so Paul Rubens as a person, he actually moved away from the spotlight, keeping his name under wraps and making all his public appearances and interviews in character while billing Pee Wee as playing himself. Uh-huh. So he was he was trying to get the public to think of him as think of Pee-wee as a real person and not as Paul Rubens playing Pee-wee and which was definitely the case I think all the way up until 91 um so and later he would even refer to his parents as Honey Herman and Herman Herman which that's not really their names (laughs) right so also as Pee-wee in the early to mid 80s, he made several guest appearances on the Late Night with David Letterman show, which again gave him more following because 
you know, David Letterman was a national TV show that people could watch without having to pay money like HBO. And so they could see him more regularly there. And then he also traveled the United States with a whole new Pee Wee Herman show. So now, now this is like in 1984. So he had his original show in 1981. And then he did a whole new show in 1984 where he, he got more exposure because that was more, again, in L.A. Now he was at, um, you know, the Guthrie Theater in Minneapolis. In, and then in New York City in 1984, he performed in front of a full audience at Carnegie Hall. And then also during this time, he appeared in a couple more films, Pandemonium in 1982 and Meatballs Part Two in 1984. And then also as during this time, this was now he's back to Paul Rubens. He's not doing this as Pee Wee, but he provided the voice of Roger Rabbit in early test footage, test footage during the development stage of the film Who, Fram Who Framed Roger Rabbit? So this was back in the early 80s, you know, 1983, 82, 83, when he did this. But that film didn't even come out till 1988. So, you know, it was uh, you know, a long time in development before they actually got um, the finalized product that we know today. And But the footage of him providing the footage of Roger Rabbit. So Roger Rabbit also didn't even look the way he looked in the film at this time. And but it was broadcast in, um, on the Disney Channel in 1983 on a show called Disney Studio Showcase, where they would talk about films that were in production and development, stuff like that. They would have like the um, Imagineers, and so they showed clips of him on that. But now, so Pee Wee is pretty successful as a character. And the success of the Pee Wee Herman show prompted um, Warner Brothers to hire Paul Rubens to write a script for a full-length Pee Wee Herman film. And Paul's original idea was to actually do a remake of the story Pollyanna. Now, of course, he wasn't going to be able to remake the Disney film because this is Warner Brothers, not Disney. Um, so he was going to kind of redo the story, which, you know, Pollyanna is based on a book. Um, and he actually claims that this is his favorite film, Pollyanna. But halfway through writing the script, he noticed that everybody at Warner Brothers had a bike with them, which inspired him to start a new script with Phil Hartman. And with, when Rubens and the producers of Pee-wee's Big Adventure saw Tim Burton's work on Vincent, that's uh, an animated um, short that he did with Disney in 1982 and Frankenweenie, which was a live action short in 1984. They chose Tim Burton to be the film's director. And the film tells the story of Pee Wee Herman embarking on a nationwide adventure in search of his stolen bike. The film went on to gross $40,940,662 domestically recouping almost six times its seven million dollar budget and at the time of release in 1985 the film received mixed reviews but peewee's big adventure developed into a cult film and because of the film um in 1985 reuben hosted saturday night live as peewee so peewee's big adventure just put him on a whole new level of exposure there and of course this is one of my favorite movies as a child growing up we watched it Endless. I, I mean, I, I don't even think I can count the amount of time I've seen. And it's definitely one of my favorite. And as 
as kids, me and my brother and sister, we would be quoting it nonstop. So. Mm-hmm. Because... I, have a que- I have a question, though. Sure. Did Large Marge send you? Yes. <laughs> Why tonight's the anniversary? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that we love. We would rewind, literally, we would sit there and rewind because we were watching it on a VHS tape. Um, that scene over and over again, and just watch her turn into her crazy face because we yeah. it just comes out of nowhere in the film. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Reminds me of the Twilight Zone movie where mm-hmm. I think it's Dan Aykroyd says, "Do you want to see something really scary?" He's in the car with driving late at night with this guy. And they're telling scary stories, and he turns around and turns back, and he's like this hideous monster. Oh. <laughs> what what year was that? I think. I wonder what came around first. the same time. I think. Uh huh. Maybe. <laughs> I think that came first. Oh okay. Yeah. Well, maybe he was y- using that as like uh, inspiration and and uh, I'm, I'm trying sure. to kind of make fun of it. Yeah. Yeah. So, alrighty. So, because the movie was so successful, CBS um, approached Rubens with an ill-received cartoon series proposal. But he decided to um, he agreed to um, act, produce, and direct a live-action children's program. Obviously, that would become Pee-wee's Playhouse. Um, and it had a budget of three hundred and twenty-five thousand dollars per episode, the same price as a primetime sitcom with basically no creative interference from CBS. So that was his agreement that he wanted to have. Mm-hmm. And um, he cast Lawrence Fishburne and Phil Hartman, and then production began in New York City. And then the opening credits, which we saw at the beginning of this segment, um, is for the show, and it was sung by Cindy Lauper, although she went under the pseudonym Ellen Shaw. So for a long time, when I was watching that, I didn't know it was Cindy Lauper that was I singing just... it. I just found that out yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. But Phil Hartman show, wasn't on the show, did yeah, he? Yeah, he was. Yep, he was. I don't remember him being, I remember him being on the HBO special. Yeah, he played the same character, Captain Carl, on the show. Oh, I don't remember mm-hmm. him being on the mm-hmm. actual show. Yeah, he was. He wasn't in every episode, but he was. He was, okay. in, was there. Mm-hmm. All right. So this, the show was designed as an educational yet entertainment and artistic show for children. Sound familiar? Hmm? And <laughs> despite being greatly influenced by 1950s shows Rub- that Reuben watched as a child, such as the Rocky and Bill Winkle show, The Mickey Mouse Club, and Captain Kangaroo and Howdy Doody, it quickly acquired a dual audience of kids and grown-ups. So that's the one thing that he was able to kind of appeal to is not just kids, but adults as well. Mm-hmm. And he always tried to make Pee-wee a positive role model, creating a consciously moral show, one that would teach children the ethics of reciprocity. And he believed that children liked the Playhouse because it was fast-paced, colorful, and never talked down to them, while parents liked the Playhouse because it reminded them of the past. It had a so lot he, of 50s mm-hmm. kind of influences in it. it like the, the aesthetic mm-hmm. kind of borrowed from the 50s, but with an 80s flair to it. 
Yeah, it's because like a... at this time in the 80s, the 50s were kind of coming back. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, a lot of the graphics and things happening at the time were 50s influenced mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Yeah, they actually, like, he has different segments where I was watching a couple of um, episodes where he would be okay, I'm going to dance. And then he just dances and then on the scene is like some go-go dancers. And it's like this old, you know, um, clip of that back from like, you know, the 60s and stuff like that where they go-go, women would just be go-go dancing and he's dancing with them. Mm -hmm. And then also like the cartoons that they show because they always have a little cartoon segment and it's an old cartoon. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it did have that, you know, that riding the line between old and new. So Pee-wee's Playhouse aired from September 13, 1986 until November 10, 1990. And uh, he had originally agreed to do two more seasons after the third. Um, and when CBS asked him about the possibility of a sixth season, he declined because at this point he, he needed a break. He was, he was kind of burnt out just playing Pee-wee full-time. And, you know, he was just uh, felt like okay, I think this is a good time to end. So they end with, with five seasons, not six. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, they also had um, a um, Christmas special, which that's what you're, you're seeing a picture of here. Um, and uh, this Christmas special aired December 21st, 1988, so it was in the middle of the run of Pee-wee's Playhouse. And it included um, a, a lot of different famous people at the time, but two popular ones that here that you recognize as Annette Funicello and Frankie Avalon. Um, and that's who you see in this picture. They actually have a really funny sequence where they're making Christmas cards out of potatoes. They turn a potato into a stamp and then they're stamping mm -hmm. the Christmas cards with them. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's really funny. But I mean, there's uh, there's a lot of people, a lot of famous people on this um, special. And it's one actually that I still watch regularly during Christmas time now because mm -hmm. it, I have such fond memories of it as watching it as a kid and mm -hmm. you know it's it's just a, a really funny um special i love it mm -hmm. um so the show um you want to like mention said, who who guest starred on the show sure I'll, you mean the the christmas special yeah because it's sure i'll impressive. go through the list yeah so besides frankie and annette uh grace jones katie lang dinah shore little richard Cher, magic johnson jaja gabor the Del Rubio triplets. And Whoopi they Goldberg. were regulars on Yes, on his Herman. show, yeah. And they mm -hmm. were these twin sisters that, um, I think they were also on the Golden Girls, but they had like this little fame spurt in the mid 80s just because mm -hmm. they were so bizarre. Mm -hmm, and they their were. most <laughs> famous thing they performed was These Boots Are Made for Walking. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, they had a, a funny way of singing, and yeah. they fit right in with Pee Wee. Yes, they were very like pseudo vintage. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, but there's also Whoopi Goldberg, Oprah Winfrey, Winfrey, uh, Joan Rivers, and Charo. So that's, I mean, and Charo all of this, sang Feliz Navidad. <laughs> yes, and this was all basically in the span of like. 45 minutes special. I know, it was so, crazy. Yeah. I don't know how he got all those people. Yeah. They must have been fans of the show. Yeah. I love the the sequence with Cher, and she's mm -hmm. like, hey, Pee Wee, you know, a Merry Christmas. Then she leaves. He goes, 
Cher, she was right there, in the same room as my chair. I hope I didn't stare. Oh well, I don't care. You know. <laughs> oh, by the way, Ruthie, the secret word for today is peewee. Yes. Oh gosh. Well, I'm not screaming every time I say it because <laughs> <laughs> we'd be here all night. <laughs> So the show had, like I said, five seasons, including 45 episodes in the Christmas special and won 22 Emmy Awards. So this was an award-winning show. Mm-hmm. Um, so another time, to- another thing that was going on in his career during this time, he wasn't just doing um, Pee Wee's Playhouse. Um, in 1986, Rubens provided the voice of the um, computer. Try Maxion or Max in the film in the Disney film Flight of the Navigator, and here he was credited as Paul Mall, so he wasn't even mm-hmm. going as Paul Rubens, which is a cigarette brand for those who mm-hmm. don't know. So it was yeah. kind of a funny <laughs> thing to call somebody. Mm-hmm. And this performance actually led to the next thing. So in 1987, he provided the voice of the pilot droid. RX-24, a.k.a. Captain Rex, in Star Tours, the attraction at Disneyland, Mm -hmm. um, the motion simulator attraction. This was also, of course, at MGM Studio in Walt Disney World and in Disneyland Paris. Mm -hmm. So um, that is, they were trying to figure out when they were developing this attraction who could provide the voice of this robot. This is a new character that they developed just for this attraction. And that was when they watched Flight of, you know, the Imagineers watched Flight of the Navigator and heard his voice. So that Mm -hmm. led to this. Mm -hmm. And then he would later reprise the same role as Captain Rex in an episode of the animated show Star Wars Rebels in 2014, which Mm -hmm. is also Disney, produced by Disney. He reprised the role of Pee Wee Herman in a cameo appearance in the Frankie and Annette film Back to the Beach, which I love. I love that. He just comes in and, and does a, a performance. He sings Bird is the Word, and, and um, it's just so cute. And again, Frankie and Annette, that whole beach vibe is very similar to Pee Wee as well. So they go mm-hmm. well together. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing, um, he also appeared in the, the TV show 227 and Sesame Street as Pee Wee Herman. And then right after the success of Pee-wee's Big Adventure, he began working on a Paramount Picture sequel film entitled Big Top Pee-wee, which came out in 1988. So this is, again, at the same time he was doing um, Playhouse, he was working on this movie. And um, so he uh, he wrote the script, and then it was directed by uh, Randall Fleiser, the director of Peace. Now, this film was not as successful as Pee-wee's Big Adventure, it received mild reviews and doing just over one third as well as the box office, earning only 15 million. And this is, it didn't get as good reviews because it's not as good of a movie, but um, but it's still funny. And um, I mean, it has Chris Christopherson in it and you know, a talking pig is his best friend. So, you know, it's very Pee Wee. Mm-hmm. And also the circus, you know, so going back to his, his love of the circus, you know, it kind of, uh, it's all about him joining the circus and figuring out how what what type of performance he can provide. So, mm-hmm. but kind of in 1981 or 1991, sorry, um, we have to talk about the elephant in the room, which was, you know, the show was over, and he wasn't really working on anything, but he was arrested in Sarasota, Florida, for lewd conduct, which is you can see it's a. Uh, mugshot here this was all over the news it was 
widely covered and you know and then he ended up becoming like basically the butt of the joke for all the late night shows and things like that you know people kept talking about this a lot longer than they should have <laughs> but and he was the, also sort of ousted from yeah from hollywood for a short right, time like ostracized yeah yeah mm -hmm. um one of the things that um he had for, um, produced was at Disney MGM Studios there was a video of him as the Pee Wee character um, explaining how voiceover tracks were produced so this was as part of like the studio tour when they would go through different parts of, of making a film and he was um, in that segment and they stopped playing that um, and then Toys R Us removed all the Pee Wee toys from its stores and CBS canceled the reruns of Pee Wee's Playhouse all because of this but then um despite public uh, the negative publicity many artists who knew him such as cindy lopper annette funicello and jaja gabor voiced support for him and teenagers actually led a picket of both cbs offices in los angeles and new york to protest against the canceling of the show and he did not offer any interviews or appearances on talk show, but he did appear as Pee Wee in the 1991 MTV Music Video Awards on September 5th, asking the audience, heard any good jokes lately? <laughs> and he received a standing ovation. So even though this happened, I, I think that uh, the public predominantly still continued to support him. And I never, I never stopped liking him because of this. So, but unfortunately, he was also in a, a situation where he kind of had to restart his career in a way. So, um, he did appear in 1992 as Pee Wee once, only once, when he participated in a Grand Old Opry tribute to Minnie Pearl. And then, um, so basically after that arrest, he he kept a low profile and he dedicated himself to writing and collecting a, a variety of things. And, um, what he would, his words were everything from fake food to lamps. <laughs> and then he did do some small parts. So he did some dubbing and took small parts in films such as the 1992 film, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. He portrayed the penguin's father in Tim Burton's Batman Returns film. And then he also had small parts in 1996's film Matilda and also from the same year, Dunstan Checks In, which is a, a film about like an orangutan. So he had bit parts there. One that he probably thought was also going to be a bit part, but ended up being way huger than anybody could have predicted. In 1993, he voiced the character of Locke in another one of uh, Burton's productions, The Nightmare Before Christmas, obviously. And um, he also provided the voice of Locke in the 2004 video game, The Nightmare Before Christmas, Ogie's Revenge. And um, so Locke is one of the three, um, I forget what, what they're called, um, but they're Ogie Boogie's henchmen, I guess that's what they refer to themselves as. And he's the one with kind of like the red face with the horn, like the devil horns. And that's um, the voice of Pee Wee. Or that's uh, Paul Rubens. He, not the voice of Pee Wee. It's Paul Rubens doing the voice of Locke. He's not doing a Pee Wee character. Right. But he kind of does sound a little bit like him. Right. Only because it's his, his voice. And don't you have a picture of that, Chris? 
Yes, there's a technical issue, Ruthie. Go oh, ahead. okay. Okay. <laughs> no problem. Unless um, you want to look at it upside down. No, no, we don't. Definitely don't. But, I mean, you guys should know that um, he, what, what that is. Because, again, that's a huge thing for not just his career, but also for Disney. Which, again, nobody would have thought at the time. But also during this time, so this is in the mid-90s, so we're a little bit moving beyond um, 93, he had a recurring role on the popular TV show at the time, Murphy Brown, which starred Candace Bergen. And his role actually earned him positive reviews and his first and only non-Pee-Wee Emmy nomination for Outstanding Guest Actor in a Comedy Series. And he appeared six times on the show between 1995 and 1997. I don't know if you guys watched that. I actually did not watch Murphy Brown at the time. Um, but I'm curious to watch him. But So this was kind of like this role here helped him to really um, kind of um, get back into like the, the normal um, people normally seeing him. And again, he wasn't playing Pee Wee. So, you know, they're seeing him in and kind of getting used to him coming back as an actor and things like that. Um, in 1997, these are a couple of Disney things that he did. Um, he provided the voice of Fife in the direct-to-video midquel, Beauty and the Beast, The Enchanted Christmas. And Fife was like a little, um, I think it was like a soprano uh, flute kind of thing. Or it is, you know, he is actual Fife instrument. And that's because, in, you know, in The Enchanted Christmas, all of the instruments are people. And this was before the um, the curse was lifted, and um, where um, the um, Belle is spending a Christmas there while she's you know trapped with the Beast. And then in 1998, he provided the voice of Mr. Herodias. I think that's how you say it. <laughs> um, in Disney's animated Her Hercules TV series, and you can see a picture of that character here. Um, so he did that. In 1999, he, he had given several interviews as himself, so now he's kind of like separating himself from the Pee-wee um, character a little bit. And then he made an, a public, you know, making these public appearances while he promoted the film Mystery Men. Uh -huh. And then, so that's another film that he was in at that time. And then in 2001, he had his first extended television role since Playhouse as the host of the short-lived ABC game show, You Don't Know Jack. And this was based on a video game series of the same name, but unfortunately it was canceled after only six episodes due to low ratings. So I don't ever remember seeing this. But he continued to act beyond, um, you know, his normal, you know, in films, and television and again not so much as peewee um he played a flamboyant hairdresser turned drug dealer in ted demi's 2001 drama blow which starred penelope cruz and johnny depp and his performance was praised and he began receiving scripts for potential film projects <clears throat> so even though he was like in public not really being seen as peewee so much he was still trying to develop things for the character of Pee-wee, some future projects. So starting in 2002, he talked about two scripts that he had written for future Pee-wee Herman films. 
and I just have a little bit of description on both of these. So the first one, um, he called the Pee Wee Herman story and he described it as a black comedy. He referred to the script as dark Pee Wee or adult Pee Wee with the plot involving Pee Wee becoming famous as a singer after making a hit single and moving to Hollywood where he does everything wrong and becomes a big jerk. So that's the first script that he was working on. And the second one was a family-friendly adventure and it and it was called Pee-wee's Playhouse the movie which follows Pee-wee and his playhouse friends on a road trip adventure um, meaning they would leave the house for the first time and go into puppet land and puppet land is where the characters the they had like a little jazz trio of uh, dirty dog cool cat cheeky baby they came from puppet land and they, all the original characters of the show, live action and puppets, were included in the script. I would have loved to have seen that. I kind of like am picturing a little bit of like a Muppets, Muppets movie kind of a thing with the characters from the Playhouse. And I think that would have been so much fun. And I really wish that he could have made that. But now we are into kind of the mid-2000s. So um, 2004 to 2008, he continues to, you know, do some cameos and guest appearances. He provided the voice for a 2004 Disney animated film, Teacher's Pet, the movie, which was based on the animated series called Teacher's Pet. But he didn't have to do a voice in the show. It was just this movie, Teacher's Pet, for Disney. <clears throat> he also made cameos and guest appearances as appearances on numerous projects so some of those projects include rick of the citizens patrol on the popular comedy central series reno 911 which gained him a small role in the 2000 film reno 911 miami he appeared on the hit nbc series 30 rock as an inbred austrian prince a character tina fey created for him so that's what you can see here. The top one is the Reno 911. The um, the top left, as I'm looking at it, I'm not sure, maybe. Um, but then the uh, Reno 911 is the top left. Then yeah, 30 Rock is the top uh, right. Top right. Yeah. Yeah. And then he also made three guest appearances on FX series Dirt. He played a washed-up alcoholic reporter named Chuck Lafoon. <laughs> I couldn't find any pictures of that. Hmm, that's I interesting. For that, so. Well, I didn't even know that show existed, but no, apparently Courtney Cox starred in that show. <laughs> yeah. But so this I was couldn't... after Friends, because um, yeah. it's 2007, um, and um, she was the one who recommended him because he starred in that show. Her husband at the time, David Arquette, was um, making a film, and she recommended him to be part of the cast, and. Um, it was called The Tripper, so that's what you see at the bottom left. Mm -hmm. That movie came out in 2007. And then um, <clears throat> he also had small parts dubbing for many um, or making cameos in Cartoon Network series, including the 2006 television film Reanimated, the animated cartoon series Chowder, Tom Goes to the Mayor, and okay. Tim Mayer. I'm interrupting you. I'm sorry, but I want to show this picture, which took me 20 minutes. To, oh, okay. <laughs> to fix. Yes. Here we go. Sorry, guys. I I had a problem. <laughs> I don't okay. want to go into the details, but here's the picture now. 
There we go. The night you happy? Yes. <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. Okay. Go ahead, Ruthie. Yes. So back to here. Um, you know, um, so he was uh, Chowder. Tom goes to the mayor. And Tim and, and Eric Awesome show great job. So he had um, provided voices for those shows. In 2008, Rubens appeared on in the role of Oscar Babenius in Pushing Daisies in the seventh and ninth episodes. And that's what you see in the bottom right. Mm -hmm. And this was actually, um, this is probably one of my favorite shows that got canceled, Pushing Daisies. And it got canceled because of the writer's strike back in 2007 and 2008. And I prefer Pulling Roses. Oh yeah. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But I was really excited watching this show because I I was a fan of the show and then I saw him pop up and it was really exciting to see him in this show. So um, that was um, fun and I definitely want to highlight that. Um, And then also in 2009, he voiced Batmite in the Batman, the Brave and the Bold episode, Legends of the Dark Might. So, you know, he has a little bit of a Batman connection, you know, with... um, Tim Burton being in uh, Batman Returns and then now um, providing a voice for that. And now we'll get into like the more recent stuff, 2009 to, uh, to 2023. In 2009, in January of 2009, he hinted that negotiations were underway for his stage show to come back. And in August of that year, the return of the Pee Wee Herman show was announced. And he, he said that he felt peewee calling. I just got up one day and felt like I'm going to come back, and that was it. The show was also a way to introduce peewee to the new generation that didn't know about it, preparing the way for Ruben's main project, the, the Playhouse film. So this was kind of a way to help, you know, bring some more recognition back to the character so maybe he could develop those movies that we talked about earlier. The show was originally scheduled to begin November 8th and continue until the 29th at the Music Box Theater in Hollywood, but due to high demand, the show moved to Club Nokia at LA Live and then and was scheduled to run between January 12th and February 7th, 2010. On November 11th, 2010, the show relocated to New York City for a limited run at the Stephen Sondheim Theater, selling over 3 million in advance tickets. And then an extra performance was taped for the HBO network on January 6, 2011 and debuted March 19th. So this was, it's not currently on HBO or Max or um, the streaming service, which I'm not really sure why. Um, But, um, you know, it's just basically like a newer version, an updated version of the original show. In January 2010, he reprised his role as Pee Wee and reused the set of Pee-wee's Playhouse for a short sketch on Funny or Die. And this was really a sketch where he was introducing the iPad. Mm-hmm. And um, he comes home and shows off a brand new iPad given to him by Steve Jobs. And this leads to a long argument between him and his puppet friends who point out all the iPad's disadvantages. <laughs> mm-hmm. And in the end, he uses the iPad as a serving tray to hold glasses of milk and lemonade during a party. So I thought that was pretty funny that he would um, do that. Um, not as Pee-wee, he provided the voice of Jokey Smurf in the films The Smurfs from 2011 and The Smurfs 2 in 2013. And then for Disney, 
he provided the voice of Pavel in the Disney animated series Tron Uprising, and this was from 2012 to 2013. And then also in 2013, he appeared as Pee Wee Herman in an episode of Comedy Bang Bang titled Pee Wee Herman Wears a Halloween Costume. Another thing he did for Disney at the time is in 2014, he provided the voice of Professor Parentheses on Phineas and Ferb and also in 2015 on the Disney XD shows Pickle and Peanut and Pen Zero Part-Time Hero. So he did other voices for that, um, for those two shows, which I'm not really familiar with either of those shows, but I do know Phineas and Ferb and that's what this character is here that you see. But finally, now we are in February 2015 and Pee-wee is finally back. And Netflix acquired the rights to produce a new Pee-wee film entitled Pee-wee's Big Holiday, which this one is not what either of those other movies that I described is. So this is with Paul Rubens and Jub, Judd Apatow producing the film and Johnny Lee directing. And Rubens wrote the screenplay with Paul Rust. And the film was released on March 18th, 2016 on Netflix to positive reception. And this would unfortunately end up being his final film role. Of course, we didn't know that at the time. So this is actually, you know, again, his his character Pee-wee. He, he ends up running to, into this this character played by Joe Manganiello, who's in this picture. And, um, you know, he just thinks he's so cool and he's trying to act like him. And he, he kind of just ends up in this, a similar type of thing where they're, you know, taking a road trip across the United States and stuff like that. But this is still on Netflix. You can watch it anytime if you have Netflix. And he, um, a little bit later, so that was 2016, so now Rubens went on to reprise his role as pilot droid Rex in Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. So this is the new Star Wars themed land that opened at Disneyland and Disney's Hollywood Studios at Walt Disney World in 2019. And so he is the former Star Wars pilot Rex and he has been reprogrammed into DJ Rex the house DJ of a bar and restaurant called Olga's Cantina. So you can hear him throughout the day. I mean, the, the DJ is playing music the whole time. And you can hear him. I think it's like a good, I think it's like three hours uh, worth of original material. Of course, he's mm -hmm. not talking for three hours. And then it's like music a, a loop. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Also in 2019, he appeared in a popular episode of the television show, What We Do in the Shadows, and then in an episode of The Connors. And then his final um, TV role would be in the animated show, Bob's Burgers. He provided the voice of Pat on an episode that aired this year. Oh, and that you can see here. So that is Bob's Burgers, but a couple of uh, last couple of things that we want to talk about before we end this section, or be, before we end talking about Paul Rubens is that, so Pee Wee, not Paul Rubens, Pee Wee was awarded a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame in 1989 um, and successfully built a Pee Wee franchise with toys, clothes, and other items generating more than $25 million at its peak in 1988. So that was really like his, his heyday was 86 to like 90 
He was huge, huge. Uh, Rubens also published a book as Pee Wee in 1989 called Travels with Pee Wee. And as we mentioned before, CBS aired reruns of Playhouse until July 1991 when, when he was arrested, pulling them from their schedule and the last two remaining reruns. Um, so they actually, there was a couple of reruns that they had scheduled and they just pulled them. Uh, Fox Family Channel briefly aired reruns of the Playhouse in 1998, but then Cartoon Network began airing reruns of, play, of the Playhouse in 2006 and 2007. TV Guide named Playhouse one of the top 10 TV cult classics of all time. In November 2004, all 45 episodes of the Playhouse, plus six episodes that had never before been released on home video, were released on DVD, split between two box set collections. And then on July 3rd, 2013, Shout Factory announced that they had acquired the rights to the entire series from Rubens, which was released on Blu-ray on October 21st, 2014. And he actually discussed plans for a museum, which would contain many of the Playhouse sets and props he owned. And I really hope that, that they end up doing that because he has all of that stuff. What's going to happen to it? We all want to see it. So I really hope that whoever is in charge of his estate does follow through with that. But unfortunately, we're talking about him because he passed away. Um, at the age of 70 on July 30th, 2013, in Los Angeles. And unbeknownst to all of us, he had been diagnosed with cancer six years earlier and he did not disclose that to the public. But... He knew that the end was coming and he released a statement. Um, and this is what it released on the day that this was announced. Please accept my apology for not going public with what I've been facing the last six years. I have always felt a huge amount of love and respect for my friends, fans, and supporters. I have loved, I have loved you all so much and enjoyed making art for you. And the one thing that I'm seeing um, come out now since his passing which unfortunately it's always the way it is people talk so highly and they say stuff about people after they're gone but I'm just hearing so many stories of how the people that had an opportunity to, to interact with him how he was so thoughtful and how he just remembered he remembered everybody's birthday and when it was your birthday and he was your friend he would bombard you with text messages and pictures and emails and and he would just make sure that your day was extra special and he did this out, out of the goodness of his heart nobody was making him do this and um you know i just hear all of these wonderful stories about how what kind of a person he was and he was so thoughtful and 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 so loving and and um you know i'm just i'm glad that that is the the legacy that he left behind as well as of course the character of Wee herman who is who will always be beloved um, so we definitely wanted to just highlight Paul Rubens as a person, Pee Wee Herman as a character, but also all of the things that he provided to the Disney company as well. And um, I'm just uh, really sad that he's gone because I mean, it was definitely too soon. Mm -hmm. And I just did not even have any inkling. Like it was like, what? When I mm -hmm. found out because he mm -hmm. kept it a secret that he was yeah. ill. So. Well, thank you, Ruthie. And now yes. we're going to move on to 
our next topic. My oh my, what a wonderful day. Plenty of sunshine in my way. Zippity doo dah, zippity yeah. Mr. Beaver's on my shoulder. It's the truth. It's actual. Everything is satisfactory. Zippity doo dah, zippity yeah. Wonderful feeling, wonderful day. So recently, two weeks ago recently, I went to Seattle, just outside of Seattle, to my very first Disney fan convention. I never attended anything like this before. And this was, I think, the second largest after D23 Disney fan meetup. And it's called the Pacific Northwest Mouse Meet. And because I just recently moved to Washington State, I was only an hour and 15 minutes away from where this is being held. So I, would, I really wanted to go. So I spent a fortune. <laughs> between all the things, but um, I did go, so everybody's been very curious to hear my thoughts and what happened. And I just, before I get started, I do want to say something, just so you realize. Anything negative that I'm about to say, because there were some bad things, has absolutely nothing to do with anybody involved with the actual mouse meat itself. Everyone involved in the event, everyone running it, all of the volunteers, all of the people attending were wonderful and I have nothing but praise and positive things and it was all positive. There's nothing negative whatsoever. Everything that I have had nothing to do, that's negative, had nothing to do with that. It had to do with things beyond their control. So, that being said, let's get into the good, bad, and ugly of this situation. So, I, um, don't drive, so I had to use the, um, uh, Washington Public Transit, the various things, to get there, because my mother was out of town, doing a square dance. My mother's into square dancing. She was doing her square dance stuff at this thing for a week. It was a week-long thing. So I ended up taking the train from Qualup, where I live, to downtown Seattle. And this is a commuter rail, which is called the Sounder. And it only runs in um, rush hour times. So there's no middle of the day service. So you can either go in the mornings or in the, e the early evening when work gets out. So the last train in the morning was at 10.30. But the check-in time at the hotel was not till 4 p.m. So I had some time to kill before I could... Um, 
check in. So I took the sounder at 10.30. It took less than an hour to get to downtown Seattle. And from there, I got on a light rail that was underground called the um, I-Link or the One-Link or something, either I or One, I can't remember. And this is what it looked like. And I just took a few stops to what's called the Westlake Center. And this is the big shopping center. And it just so happens that the only uh, Alwig monorail outside of a Disney park that is still operating happens to stop at this mall. And it's a very short trip and there's only two stations so you can only go and come back. And this um, monorail was built by the same company that um, Walt partnered with to build the monorail at Disneyland in the 50s, but this was originally built for the 1962 Seattle World's Fair, and it still exists today, and you can still ride it. So, I took the monorail to what they call the Seattle Center, because again, I had time to kill. So, I rode this monorail, and it's kind of when you hear Walt talk about what the monorail looked like that he saw in Germany originally, this is kind of what it looked like. He said it looked like a bread box. It wasn't as, you know, it didn't have the Bob Gurr touches. It was more functional, you know, than the Bob Gurr version in Disneyland. And it's also bigger inside and you can... It, you could stand and you know it's more of the kind of monorail that would be practical for city travel if that ever came to fruition which it didn't so I got on the monorail at the um, Westlake Center and took it it was like a three-minute trip to the Seattle Center and this is actually where the World's Fair had been held in 1962 and there are still buildings and remnants from the fair still there. But, of course, it's no longer a World's Fair. It's just kind of a public park. But one interesting thing, and one of the things that was left behind from the fair, is the Space Needle, which is right there. And I did not go up in the Space Needle. You could not pay me a million dollars to go up in that thing. I am not into that. <laughs> I do not Me like either. Yeah, so cuz it's a glass elevator, especially because it's a glass elevator. I do not want to look at what's happening outside while I'm going up in this elevator. So, I did admire it from afar. I was right at the foot of it. It's even bigger than it seems in pictures. It's quite massive and impressive. And I had lunch there in this, um, it was called the Armory. I think it was another left-behind building from the fair, but it, they kind of converted it into, like, this big food court. And I had lunch there. And it was so blazing hot. I had more time, but it was so blazing hot that I just got back on the monorail after lunch. I walked around for a little bit, but it just was too hot. 
There's also a really great glass art museum there that's kind of famous that's right there. And if I had more time, I would have gone. But because it's $30 and I just had such a limited amount of time, I thought it would be wasteful for me to do that. Mm -hmm. I'd say that's for another trip in the future. Cause I so would how like long to see did it. that take you, that part of the, the trip there? Like an hour and a half. No, oh, okay. Then I, then I got on the monorail and went back to the Westlake Center. And then I got right back on that same I train, the one I showed you before. This train is not really a subway. It looks kind of like one, but it goes above ground and underground. It's mm. more like what they call a light rail. So... It took me, like, almost, getting back on this, it took me almost all the way to where I needed to be, which was outside of Seattle. And um, I had to take two more buses to get to the actual hotel. Mm. So by the time I got to the hotel, which was, I was there an hour early, but they were already letting people check in, even though I was there an hour early, so... By the time I got there, I had to walk a little bit from the bus where the bus let me out. I was so, I felt so gross and dirty. Uh -huh. <laughs> it was a hot day. Mm -hmm. And I was so looking forward to walking into this building and being blasted with air conditioning. And to my chagrin, that never happened. <laughs> I walked in and like, oh, it's not that cool in here actually. So... That was kind of annoying and I'm sweating, my face is sweating and I'm like, you know, not cooling down at all because there's, it's not really very cold in there. Mm -hmm. it, it, it was probably about the same inside as it was outside, so that was really annoying. So I just didn't think about it and went on my way and proceeded to check in. So I got in the line at the concierge desk and I uh, gave them my information and they said oh you're booked for tomorrow night I said uh no why would I do that <laughs> when I'm going to the convention and all of the activities are tonight the pre-convention and everyone is staying tonight so it took like 20 minutes to straighten this out. And there were people standing behind me in line because there's a huge line behind me. And they had to go get the boss. And mm -hmm. what really annoyed me is he said, he he scheduled for, he, he put the blame on me when he explained to his boss. He scheduled it for the wrong night. And that mm -hmm. really hit me the wrong way. And because I was so tired and exhausted and for him to put it that way really ticked me off. So I said, no, you scheduled it for the wrong night. I corrected him. Normally I'm mm -hmm. not like that, but I was just so annoyed. So, mm -hmm. so they straightened it out. I was annoyed that, that it, you know, because I had made this reservation through the mouse meet site why would i make it for saturday night it didn't make any sense so they finally straightened it out and they said oh and here you have 
And then they said, okay, so give us your credit card. I said, I already paid. So that was a whole other thing. And then they, Mm. I had to pay again because apparently when I paid before, they didn't take the money out. They just used it as like a... Like a hold kind of a thing. So I had to Mm -hmm. give them my credit card again. I didn't realize that. So there was, I had to straighten that out because I thought... I had to look at my, I had to figure out, make sure they weren't charging me twice. Because mm-hmm, that was mm-hmm. not properly explained. I thought when I gave him my credit card online was when I paid for it. But apparently right. not. And then the other thing that annoyed me is they charged me an extra $50. I said, why are you charging me? I, I thought there was this discount for people attending the mouse meet. And that, I should still get that. It's not my fault that you scheduled it for the wrong day. And they said, no, 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 that's not what that that is. We charge everybody that in case you use the the, um, room service or go to the bar. It comes out of that. I said, but I'm not going to use room service. I already paid for my meals in advance because I bought these special meals they were doing for the convention that were themed to the convention like they were disney themed Mm -hmm. and i'll get into that too because there's a story there so anyway um they said no no this everyone has to pay that and if you don't use it you get it back so i just thought that was pretty crappy and cheesy to you know (laughs) you shouldn't be charging people for something until after they right. do it. I don't I mean, like I don't that. know why they would charge $50. They have your card on file. If you do use it, you can just use charge your card. Yeah, but that's their, how they do things. I said they do it for everybody, so whatever. So all these things that hit me that I didn't know, mm-hmm. I'm exhausted. So then I walked uh, on the other side of the room. Had, there was a table set up to check in to the mouse meet. They were wonderful. Everyone was super friendly, didn't have any problem. The only problem is they put David on my name tag instead of Chris, but they fixed it. You know, no Mm -hmm. big deal, whatever. I mean, that's, that's because my first name is legally David, so I mean... But other than that, I mean, everybody was super nice, and they gave me, like, a, a crossword and different, like, things. Like, they gave me a bag of... You know, they gave me, like, a whole, like, check-in kit. Mm-hmm. They gave me, like, a lanyard and all sorts of fun stuff. So, then I went to my room, and that was another situation. Because I walked into my room, and it was like a sweat box. It was like a, a greenhouse. <laughs> so, they had the air conditioning, like, down to, like, 78 or something. So I turned it up to like 65 and then that was fine. But my my main issue with that is, and I'm going to sound very nitpicky on some of these things, but it's just the, the accumulation of these little things like, like really add on to each other. So it's not just one thing, it's the, it's all these things combined. If it was just one thing and another thing, I could have just forgotten about it. So, the fact that I'm paying over $300 for one night at this room, in the middle of nowhere, by the way, 
you can you can stay in a nice hotel in downtown Seattle for less than that. Mm-hmm. And they're charging a ridiculous price for this hotel. Now, if you can see the room here, it is big. It's nice. It had a it had a separate room for the. It had two rooms. Like it had a sitting area, and it had a little kitchenette area. So it was huge. So yes, it was big. But when you pay that, you should be walking into a room that is ready to go. I just feel like if you pay $300 for a room, you shouldn't have to adjust the air conditioner. I don't know. That's just me. Call me crazy. You know, because mm-hmm. I was really treating myself. I never splurged like this. I don't have the money to do this. Mm-hmm. I, to stay in a $300 hotel room was supposed to be something very special. So I was expecting it to be like luxury you know, for one night, treating myself to something special, and it just was not what I expected. It was just like any other hotel I've ever been to, like Motel 6, it was just bigger in square footage. So anyway, that being said, took a shower, I laid down, and I immediately passed out. (laughs) And the bed... (laughs) was it was a good bed it was good mattress good sheets soft high thread count all that good stuff that i can't complain about the bed itself and i it had two tvs had a tv in the bedroom and a tv in the sitting room so when i woke up it was dinner time and i paid for this 50 dollar um special adventure land themed dinner so i was excited oh this is gonna be nice fifty dollars for this dinner again splurging because normally i would never pay that for a meal but i was treating myself i wanted this to be a special weekend so i uh went downstairs and i have to explain the um way this uh space was set up though the the interior of this hotel as you can see from this picture it had these balconies this kind of reminds me of the contemporary resort where there's this big open atrium in the middle like the grand canyon concourse would be and then all the rooms are around it on balconies Mm -hmm. and there were five stories So all the rooms surrounded this big open space. So this explains why they were having an issue keeping this place cool enough. Because they were had to cool this huge open area. Mm -hmm. However, they do it at the contemporary. Right. And I think it's less money per night. Maybe the same, but not much more and they keep that place an icebox and the amount of money the amount of people attending this event they're being stingy with this air conditioning and I thought it was just really nasty and not right because I was sweating it was like and everyone was complaining about it not just me Because I'm in poor health, so, I mean, everyone was noticing it. 
and commenting on it. Apparently, nobody was complaining to the desk. That Hmm. fell on my shoulders, apparently, and I'll get to that later. So I was noticing that, you know, this is not the ideal temperature for me right now, but I was trying to ignore it and just go with the flow and enjoy the moment. So I got in line, and it turns out it was a buffet. I kind of knew in the back of my mind it would be. Mm -hmm. And so I went in and got my food, and it was all kind of... They put little placards on it and kind of named everything like Jose Carioca Chicken and like they mm-hmm. named it things that it had to do with Disney. And it mm-hmm. was kind of kind of loosely tropical or Adventureland-ish themed. And there was a big spread, but I would say it was a $30 buffet, not a $50 by any means. The food was edible, it was good, but it wasn't $50 good. It certainly was not worth $50. Now, as you can see, they had, there were two, like, big rooms in this big atrium, kind of separated by planters and a wall. This was the room where the actual convention was going to be held. And on the opening dinner, they set up all these tables, as you can see in this picture. And they were playing Adventureland background music, and they had tiki room things on the screens and it was very festive and unfortunately there was no place for me to sit in here so i paid fifty dollars for this experience because i could have let it go if okay i paid 30 and then an extra 20 for the ambiance and the experience you know but i didn't get to experience it I had to sit in the regular area where all the other hotel guests sit because they had a big area with tables and things that is normally set up for the restaurant people and the bar people. And that's where I had to eat dinner by myself, separated from all the convention goers. So they didn't have enough seats in there. They didn't have enough seats. Oh, that's not good. And the thing is, I booked my ticket in advance as did everyone else. So they knew in advance how many How many people, were attending. But they mm-hmm. still didn't have enough places mm. to sit. And I mm-hmm. paid a premium price for the experience of Adventureland. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of ticked off, okay? Mm-hmm. So again, these things are one thing after another. And it has nothing to do with the mouse meat. Because right. this is the first time they're ever doing it at this venue. Mm. So they did not anticipate any of these issues, Okay. So I'm not putting any blame on them whatsoever. It's all about the hotel. And also, I had a pleasant experience getting to the hotel, except for the heat and the walking around. But that's, that's you know, that was expected. Mm-hmm. And other, I was, you know, everything ran smoothly, perfectly, until I got to the hotel. <laughs> so... The other thing is, when I was getting my food, I wanted to get, like, a Diet Coke or something as my drink. There was no soda machine in the room where they were serving the food. All they had was water, unsweetened iced tea, and coffee to drink. Mm. And they had a juice thing, but I didn't want juice with my dinner Because this is where they had their breakfast. So I guess that was just always there as part of their breakfast. breakfast, For the breakfast. Mm -hmm. I could have had juice, but 
I don't want to have orange juice with my dinner. I'm sorry. No. <laughs> <laughs> I want a Diet Coke. So, yeah. and I paid $50. Can I have my Diet Coke, please? But it wasn't part of the, the what you paid for. It did not include about any soft drinks or anything. Just water, tea, and coffee was all you could choose. And the other thing is, they had these little tiny cups. Like a Dixie cup. Uh-huh. And there were no go-backs. It was a one-time only. There was no all-you-can-eat. So fill up your plate, because you can't come back in here. Really? So I could get That's a little... a buffet. Yeah, well, <laughs> for 50 bucks, too. So I the, the cups were like, you know, one swallow and it's gone. So, oh. and then I can't go back and get more to drink. Mm-hmm. So, and I drink a lot while I eat. So yeah. I was really annoyed by that. And I, mm-hmm. and I noticed as I was taking my tray to sit down in the regular space that wasn't part of the convention that there was an actual soda machine in the little hallway. So I was like, oh good, I'll go get my soda. So I started eating and then just before I was about to get up, an employee walked over and closed the closet where the soda machine was and locked it. And I was Why? like, I, I was like, what is happening? So right. then I remembered they gave me two free drink tickets with my check-in. Everybody got, that's like a thing they would give everybody. Mm-hmm. So I was like, all right, well, I'll just go to the bar and get a Coke at the bar since mm-hmm. I have my free drink thing. Mm-hmm. So I get up to the bar and I'm standing in line at the bar and the bartender had walked away for a minute and she's walking back. And she sees me standing there with my ticket. He said, oh, that's over. You can't use that now. What? I said, what are you talking about? She said, that's only good till six o'clock. It's, it's, or till 6.30. It's 6.40. Oh my gosh. I was so angry at that point that I went to the front desk and I complained. Mm-hmm. And I said to them, that was not a $50 meal. I had to sit in the, you know, I, just everything I said to you yes, just now. Yes, everything, yeah. Mm-hmm. And they said, well, if we give you a Coke, will that make you happy? Oh, my gosh. That's what they said to me. So I said, yes, I would like a diet. I'm diabetic. I need a diet Coke, please. Mm -hmm. So they handed me a bottle of diet Coke. And, you know, that was it. So I had noticed earlier that the ice machine um, was located right next to my room in a little room next to my room. So I went upstairs to take a nap before the next thing was going to happen, which I'll talk about in a minute. And so I wanted to get some ice for my soda. So I walked into the little room out of order. Hmm. So I was just like, oh, this is ridiculous. Okay, so I went into my room, my $300 a night room, and I said, well, I'm going to sit here and watch some TV while I wait for the event to start. So I turned on the TV, and I sat down on the couch in the little separate sitting room. And it was like sitting on a rock. (laughs) 
you know, it looked pretty. It it aesthetically mm-hmm. was pretty, but it was not. It, it reminded me of the couches we had in my dormitory in college. Mm. Mm-hmm. It was just not at all. I couldn't sit on it. I it was just not. And you know that's fine for a one hundred dollar room or maybe a two hundred dollar room, but for a three hundred dollar room, you should have a couch that you can sit on, because you're paying that premium price because you have this separate seating area. Mm-hmm. Right. But it was because un- it's not just a room; it's a suite. Yeah, it was unusable because this, I could not sit on this. It was like so hard. There was no padding. It was ridiculous. Okay. And I know this all sounds petty, but it's just one thing after another after another. So I'm like, well, I guess I'll sit at the desk and work on that crossword puzzle they gave me to kill time. I must have spent about a half hour looking for a pen. There was no pen no stationery. I mean, I have never stayed in a hotel in my life. And I've stayed in a few. I'm 50 years old. I have never stayed in a hotel where they didn't have a pen. I don't. I know that sounds stupid and, and nitpicky, but you expect that when you pay that for a room because that's something that every hotel does. Mm-hmm. They use they give you like a little pen and some stationery. Have you ever stayed in a hotel that didn't do that? No, no, I've always had. There's always been like yeah, maybe not necessarily a notepad, but it's it was like a little like not notes, but like a little pad or a yeah, a little pad and a couple yeah. pens that have the yeah. hotel on it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and then they you can bring it home, and then it advertises the hotel. You know. That's the whole point of it. It's a mutually beneficial arrangement because you bring it home with you and then people see the hotel and want to stay there. Okay, so anyway, again, just one thing after another. So I was like, screw this, and I went back to bed and took another nap. (laughs) Because that was the only thing that seemed to be working right was the bed Mm -hmm. itself. So I definitely passed out again. And then I woke up a little bit before 9 o'clock perfect timing because this was when the next thing was going to start and this is i'm this is going to be a more positive uh part of of the discussion for those of you tired of hearing me complain (laughs) so as you can see how this is set up and this is that other room you see how there's tables and chairs in the other room Mm -hmm. that's where i had to eat so you the the way this this hotel is set up it lends itself to this activity now i did say that the 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 hotel did not um host this event until this is the first year however people had been staying this was the official place to stay overnight and then the event itself was held in a different hotel mm-hmm. so this was this they have been staying in this hotel for over a decade but they haven't ever had the convention here so that's how they knew that they could do this because they've been doing it for so long and it's called the the door decorating contest and because of the way the hotel is set up and how it's balconies like this and you can see all the rooms at a glance you know it lends itself to do this activity because of the 
the way the hotel is. So what it is is people are encouraged to bring decorations and decorate their door. And there was also a frosted glass window next to every door. Mm-hmm. All the same. All the rooms are identical. So you had the door and the glass window. You couldn't see inside, but the advantage of that is you could light the window from behind. And mm-hmm. as you can mm-hmm. see in one of these pictures where they have the Beauty and the Beast what looks like stained glass they lit Mm -hmm. it from behind but these people have been going to this for years so they know the 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 drill and they know what to bring and how to decorate because it's the same hotel every year so i saw a lot of people coming in with crates because they were going to decorate their door and then the the winner they have a contest and they pick a winner the next day and they, so peep, this really does not, I couldn't find very many good pictures. This really does not demonstrate how amazing some of these, I mean, some of them look like this, but there were some of them that looked absolutely incredible. Like you wouldn't even believe. They had one theme to It's a Small World. They even had music going and things moving and... They brought out furniture from inside the rooms and incorporated it into the design because they knew what furniture would be available to them because they'd done it before because it's Mm -hmm. been held here for years. So I spent a good hour, maybe longer, walking around on all the levels, just kind of going around in a circle and then going up the elevator and doing the next level and looking at all these amazing doors And it was also a wonderful way to meet people. Like it was Mm -hmm. a great way to get to know everybody because, you know, you're walking around looking at all the doors and so is everybody else. So I met a lot of really, really wonderful, friendly people. So this was a positive and this was all part of the mouse meet. So I have nothing to complain about. It was all incredible and positive and wonderful. So um, none of these pictures were from this year. I don't have any. I couldn't find any. But the reason I included that Beauty and the Beast one, because that's more close to how incredible all of the rooms were. Because see how it has the rose on the table and a stained glass mm-hmm. window. Yeah. Lots of lighting was going on. Lots of, you know, they had they had this, the guy right next to me replicated Rabbit's house from Winnie the Pooh, where Pooh was stuck in the hole and he made a trophy. He made like a, a, a moose head out of his mm-hmm. behind. He mm-hmm. he did that. And he showed me the picture on his phone of the scene from the film. And he copied it exact, exactly. He had all the same mm-hmm. little knickknacks on the shelf. Like exactly like they were from the movie. And the way he drew the... the the happy face on mm-hmm. Pooh's butt with the squiggle because Pooh laughed because he was tickled was exact. <laughs> like the squiggles were exact. It was incredible. And I said to him, mm. I think you're a contender for the prize. And then people handed out goodies like food as part of their display. They gave you treats. Mm-hmm. I got like little candies and popcorn and things from different people and one of the rooms had a whole 
trivia game going on. So they invited you into their suite, and they had a wheel. And mm. they spun the wheel. Cool. And then you'd land on a category, and then they'd pick a box of popcorn that had a question on it. And they gave you the popcorn, and then you'd answer the question, and then there was a little card behind the question on the they pull out the card and had the answer in it mm -hmm. so that was fun and it was two cute little kids running it i don't know where their oh. parents were mm -hmm. they were probably in the back room because this was all in the front room mm -hmm. and it was a lot of fun and i really had a good time the only downside again which had nothing to do with the mouse meat was it was a sauna right because everybody was out in the middle doing this stuff and they weren't properly air conditioning this huge space they have the money to do it because three hundred dollars a room there's at least a thousand people staying at this hotel tonight they can afford to pump up the ac so everyone is comfortable but for some reason they can't do that they can't provide sodas so i don't know so anyway that was good, so I went back to my room, went to bed, slept well, slept like a, I was so tired. So, mm -hmm. woke up the next morning, and they had a free breakfast, which I didn't have to pay for, but it was in the same place as the dinner had been. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I went in. It was, it was not just a continental, it was like a full breakfast with hot food and everything mm -hmm. all the typical things you'd expect from a breakfast eggs bacon sausage pancakes all and all mm -hmm. that so i mean it was free so i mean it was good it, it wasn't mm -hmm. like it was definitely a good meal but it wasn't anything fancy but it was a satisfying you know good hearty meal Mm -hmm. And um, I'm getting hungry right now. Oh, my God. I know, right? <laughs> so anyway, that was fine, except for, again, the heat. But it wasn't very late in the day. It was quite early. So, you know, I didn't really notice it because it wasn't quite, you know, the heat of the day quite yet. So I did notice it, but I didn't let it bother me so much. Mm -hmm. So I went back up to my room and I took a nap and I slept till 10. And I was like, oh, my God. Because the thing starts at 10. They said rope drop at 10. Mm. So I was like booking to get out of there. And I wanted to kind of like the checkout time was at noon. So I wanted to set it up so that I didn't have to go back to the room again. Mm -hmm. So I just got all my stuff ready in advance. And when I woke up, I just got dressed and left. Mm -hmm. So I was coming out of my room just as the rope drop was happening and they actually used the disneyland rope drop announcement mm -hmm. but the guy the guy recorded it for the mouse meet oh, so okay. he changed it the the same guy that did, does it recorded it mm -hmm. so they changed it around specific for the mouse meet and i got to the bottom of the stairs just as they were letting everyone in. So I didn't quite get to rope drop, but I saw it from the, you know, I saw it happening, but I wasn't in line for it. Mm -hmm. But that was fine because I don't really like standing in line. And there was no reason to, I mean, it wasn't like 
if you weren't the first in line, you weren't going to see anything. Like, you, it was no need to be waiting in line for anything. So, mm-hmm. I, uh, it was again quite hot. So, the um, actual vendor room, which was what, you know, you would do when they weren't doing, because the, the actual guest speakers and everything were in that big room that the dinner had been in this Mm -hmm. room here they set it up with chairs like this now Mm -hmm. so they had a big stage set up in the front and that's where the guest speakers were and then they had screens so they showed different things on movies and clips and then on the um the left side here or the right side this was like a fountain the Mm -hmm. the wall here that in front of the window, that wall was actually water came down in front of it, and they projected things onto the water, mm. like like Disney scenes and stuff. And it smelled sort of like Pirates of the Caribbean, the water. So it was it was kind of neat. Mm-hmm. I actually sat near there when I first went to the first guest speaker. So anyway, but in a separate room, which was behind this room. On the other side, like the opposite side of the stage, behind here was this big ballroom, you know, which has those divider walls, but they opened Mm -hmm. it up so it was the whole room. And they had all around on the perimeter, they had at least a dozen vendors, maybe more. You see how the tables are lined up against the wall? It was like mm-hmm. a big circle of vendors all on the perimeter of the room. So you just sort of got in line at the beginning and you worked your way around in the line. Like it was mm. like a like a conveyor going mm. all around. Really? So I do recognize those two ladies in the bottom picture there. I think I did see them and speak to them. Mm. But so anyway, I got in line and started making my way around. And there were a lot of really nifty things. And I was like, I better wait till I get all the way around before I buy anything. Because what if there's something else I want more? So, um... I got all the way to this table on the top right. And and this table was all pins. Just mm. each section was a different price range. Mm-hmm. So they had like a $5 pin section, a $10 pin. You know, like, and then around it, they had like above, you see behind them, they had other things that you could mm-hmm. get besides pins. Mm-hmm. And I actually bought a lunchbox i i was so cheap i think it was ten dollars and i was like oh i gotta get this and it was actually a d23 gift from a couple years ago i should have put a picture of it up but it's like a walt disney world um lunchbox it has mickey and donald on a train in the front Mm -hmm. and then it has um different characters from attractions like it has um, Sunny Eclipse and Figment and the Singing Ghost and a Pirate. And it's all just Walt Disney World stuff, but it's in a retro style. Mm-hmm. 
-hmm. it's not a re actual retro thing because these attractions some of these are new things but it's all done in a very retro disney style it looks very mid-century so and it was a, a gift they gave out. I'm surprised you're you're not remembering this because you are a member of D23. No, well, I do have that. Okay, I that. you do mm -hmm. have it. Okay, mm -hmm. yeah. So I bought that for ten dollars. So mm -hmm. I thought that was a good price, and it was in mint condition. So mm -hmm. um, anyway, so then it was nearing eleven o'clock, and the first guest speaker was going to start at 11. So I made my way into the big conference room. Now, let me say that this little room with the vendors was so nice as far as the air conditioning. Mm. It was so comfortable. It was perfect. Like, it was the perfect temperature. And, you know, so that was mm -hmm. that. So then I walked out into the big conference room and I'm like blasted with heat, like again. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I sat down about I sat down near that waterfall about 10 rows back very good view plus they had those big screens and you know they were ready for this event like everything they did was perfect so anyway mm -hmm. um, the guy who runs it and I don't know what his name is I'm sorry I can't remember off the top of my head the name of the guy who runs the whole show but the first they showed this little funny little video that they made at disneyland as kind of the opening thing and it showed him going around the guy that runs it going around disneyland um and different people who worked at disneyland like those announcer that couple that's married one of them is mm -hmm. the disneyland and they were in the video and they were trying to sell him real estate in fact it was the 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 male that does disneyland the the husband did all the real estate at disneyland and then the the wife did all the real estate at california adventure and they were kind of trying to sell him a property like, they mm. went to the Haunted Mansion and said, you know, they made jokes about, it's a little dusty inside, but, you know, it's got mm -hmm. huge square footage. Like, they they pretended they were trying to, like, they tried to sell them the Matterhorn and different funny things. <laughs> so, it was just a funny little opening video. Mm. It was cute. You know, a little cheesy, but, you know, it's, you know, whatever. Yeah. Cheesy is okay sometimes. So, anyway, yeah. then he came out the guy that runs it and made some announcements and kind of let you know what was happening. And, um, then he, um, started talking about why we're all big, what it means to be a Disney fan. That's why I, how I came up with our top 10 idea. Cause he was sort of talking about why we're, why, what makes a Disney fan. It just a, a nice little topic to kind of set things off. And then the first guest speaker, came out and this was a last minute thing because of the set this is what the room looked like for the for the um thing and there were some people dressed up you can see in this picture there was mm. somebody bending over in the aisle that was dressed like Belle mm -hmm. I don't know how she wore that in that heat I don't know I had shirt I had a t-shirt and shorts on and I was sweating like a pig 
You can see some tables on the left. You see where it's kind of pink reddish. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That was what they had a. They called it a silent auction, but it wasn't really a silent auction. It was more like a silent raffle, because oh, okay. and it all went to charity. So you would buy a dollar a ticket. So I bought twenty tickets. And then they had all of these gift baskets with all sorts of really great stuff. Some of the, like, $300 worth of stuff. And mm-hmm. Each basket had, like, a theme. Like, they had a, a haunted mansion basket and just all sorts of goodies. And you you bought your raffle ticket and then you they had a box in front of each thing. And you could put as many tickets in, like, if there was one in particular you really liked, you could put all of your tickets in that mm, one. Okay. So so I I did that later, but that's what that was. So I'll get to that later. But so I'm sitting there for the conference, and they bring out a last-minute guest speaker because this is somebody who actually always attends the event. And... um the actual person who was supposed to speak had to cancel because of the SAG strike. Mm. They weren't allowed to do stuff like that as part of their, their, you know, membership of SAG. So anyway, this guy decided last minute he came in and this was, um, Michael Vargo. And he was the vice president of D23 and corporate events. And he started working at Disney years ago. He's probably a little bit younger than me. Like, he's right around my age. So, um, he um, did a, kind of picked a topic. And he thought he would, and it was really interesting. And I enjoyed it immensely. The topic he did, which was right up his area of expertise, was the history of of Disney fan groups and hmm. and different, you know, Disney type, you know, um, conventions and groups and things like that, going all the way back to the 30s. Hmm. And wow. they, he showed pictures and he showed some never before seen, well, not never before seen, but unseen for decades footage mm-hmm. of commercials and things that was really interesting so anyway he started with the original mickey mouse club from the 30s where it was for kids to go to the movies and watch disney cartoons and he explained that and i never thought of this but it makes sense how when it first was formed there weren't that many mickey mouse cartoons produced yet so it wasn't just mickey cartoons there were a few but then they showed other cartoons during it also and other you know um serials and things that would appeal mm-hmm. to kids but then they had a pledge and they got a special membership card and he talked all about all that stuff and then he talked about the disney vacation or like the the disney the magic kingdom club which was the old Disney Vacation Club back in the mm, day. Yeah. And mm-hmm. he talked about um, Disneyana and all the different types of fan meetups and all those things. And it was a very interesting. And it was not, he, it was, it was 
perfectly timed, it was not boring, it was entertaining, and he was a good speaker, and I really felt satisfied with, with that presentation. And I had the wherewithal to realize that a good number of these people paid for that lunch that are sitting in this theater, and it's just mm -hmm. about to wrap up, so why don't I kind of quietly exit and go get my lunch so that I'm not in this huge line. Mm, so mm -hmm. I kind of, er, nobody else thought of that, I guess. I was the only, there were a few other people. I was actually the second person in line to get my food. So oh, okay. again, the same situation with the drinks. <laughs> and this meal was cheaper. Oh, the, the lunch was cheaper. It was the same setup, but the theme now was Main Street. And they had fried chicken and mashed potatoes and just kind of all-American food. And I would argue that the lunch was better than the dinner the night before. It was actually quite mm. good, and mm. it was $20 cheaper. Mm. But What food did you get for the dinner? It was like this chicken dish that had kind of a pineapple flavor. Oh, okay. Trying to be like Adventureland. Yeah, it was, and they had like rice and some Japanese and Chinese like egg rolls and you mm, know, that kind of stuff. Okay. But this was all American, like fried chicken, mashed potatoes. Mm -hmm. They had um, like a sandwich thing. I can't remember what it was, but you could, you could make this sandwich, this little sandwich with a little hoagie roll. It was all very American stuff. So, but good. Mm -hmm. And it was $20 cheaper, but I still didn't get a soda. So I got two <laughs> cups and filled it with iced tea. And then as I'm walking out, and this has nothing to do with anything. It's just things that happen. Somebody bumped into me, and I almost spilled everything. Luckily, it did not oh. happen. But uh, part of the problem is this room was so tiny, and they're trying to serve all these people in this tiny little room. Mm-hmm. So that I blame the hotel for because they weren't properly set up for this. But the lunch was going to purposefully be held in the, the, the second room because the main room was now set up for, you know, to have, you know, the the guest speakers and all that. Right. There weren't tables Yeah, the presentations and stuff. Yeah. So mm -hmm. now the main... I was actually with everybody... That was part of the conference, unlike the dinner mm -hmm. before. Mm -hmm. And it was a very positive vibe. Everybody was just very positive and perfect. And everybody was just very friendly and thoughtful, as you would expect from Disney fans. I mean, you know. So, mm -hmm. I mean, I have nothing to say but positive about the people involved with the actual event. All of the things I've complained about were completely beyond their control. Like I said, this is the first time they've ever done it at this venue. Hopefully, I'm hoping the last, because I won't go again if they hold it here. I will not go again if they hold it here. So anyway, um, I'm eating my lunch, and I'm sweating like a pig. Mm -hmm. And I reach a point where I'm like, I have to go, I have to, go to that, because I can't go back to my room, because I've already checked out. Right. I have to go to that little room where the vendors are because i cannot stand this anymore i said this is so freaking hot and there was a girl sitting next to me and i said i know what you mean 
Like, people were agreeing with me. It wasn't just me. Oh, and I forgot to mention that during the guest speaker, they made jokes about the heat. Like, they, they acknowledged it and said sorry about the heat. It's cooler in that room back there. And, like, so they made note of it. But apparently, nobody had gone up to the front desk to complain yet about hmm. it. Because when I went, because <laughs> of course I complained. But so after lunch, I went back to that vendor room and finished my rounds. And I mm -hmm. got to the end of the line. There weren't that many people in there now because I ate earlier than everyone else because I was the first in line. So now this room is nearly empty. Just the vendors are there and me and a few other people. But now there's really no lines or anything, so I'm just quickly looking at the rest of the room. And I got through everything. Mm -hmm. And then I went out into the main theater and I looked at that whole thing with the raffle. And I did that. I paid $20. But that wasn't going to be announced till the end of the day. But I'll explain what happened. So... I went back into that room and I'm like, well, the next speaker isn't for an hour. I've seen everything. I'm sweating like a pig. I think I should just go home. So I called my mother because my mother arranged for an Uber to bring me home because she had an issue with me taking public transit. The trains don't run on the weekend. So I would have had to take a bus all the way home. Mm-hmm. So my mother took issue with that because that's an area I'm not familiar with. She was away on a trip. So she insisted that she pay for an Uber for me to get home. Not my idea. So I called and I said, because Uber can just like come on demand. They Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So I asked if she could reschedule it so they could come get me now. And she said yes. So. I went to the front desk and I said, okay, I need to get a refund for my dinner tonight because I'm leaving. And it's like a $50 dinner I paid for. And I said, the reason I'm leaving is because I can't be in this hotel anymore. It's like an oven. And they said, oh, really? I'm comfortable. Nobody, nobody, oh, else, oh my has, gosh. nobody else has complained. I said, well, that's surprising. Apparently, I'm the first. I don't know what happened after I left, but I was the first to complain. Mm -hmm. According to them, who knows? Well, according to the person that you spoke to. Yeah, and so then I mentioned, oh, really? Because they mentioned it during the guest speaker. They made jokes about the heat. And that kind of struck a chord with them. Because then they got all nervous about it. Mm -hmm. And they went over and there, the big panel, the electrical panel was there behind them and they started fiddling with it after I said that to them. And I said, and other people have complained to me. A lot of people have agreed with me and complained about it. So I might be the first, but I highly doubt I'm going to be the last. Mm -hmm. And I'm not in the best of health. And I can't be in this hotel, hotel anymore. I need to be somewhere where I have air conditioning. I can't handle this. It's making me sick. So they said, okay, well, take this card and call on Monday 
Like, they couldn't give me my money back. Like, they, oh my gosh. They made me go through loops to get my money back. By the way, my mother, who was also annoyed at all this, and she likes calling and complaining to people. That's her favorite <laughs> activity. She insisted that she call. I was going to do it myself. It doesn't involve her, but she wanted to do it, and she took care of it, and there's... They said three business, they took the money out immediately, but three business right, days, course. they'll put yeah. the money back on my card. So fine. Anyway, I um, sat and waited for my mother to call me back to confirm the when, you know, I sat in the lobby waiting and um, then uh, she called and said, they're going to be there in any minute. So, go outside and wait. So, I walked outside. It was cooler outside than mm. it was inside. Oh, my gosh. And it was a hot day. Mm-hmm. You know, middle of July. So, I was like, this is insane. So, that was the end of my mouse meat experience. I got in the Uber. It was like an hour and a half to get home. Didn't have any problems. The guy was very friendly. We had a nice chat. And um, mm -hmm. that was that. And then I was so glad to be home. And I think I probably slept for five hours. I just kind of dropped my bag and plopped on the bed and fell asleep. Mm -hmm. So I was home by 3.30. I had intended to stay till till like 8 o'clock that night. Because mm -hmm. the, the actual event ended at 6. Then they had like the announcement of the raffle winners and mm -hmm. all that stuff. And then they had a dinner. So I had originally, we scheduled them to come get me like at 8.15. Mm -hmm. But I ended up getting home by 3.30. And so that was a kind of a disappointment. And I would have liked to have seen the other guest speakers. Mm -hmm. Because I didn't know that I was going to enjoy it so much. I wasn't even like, that wasn't really even my main reason for wanting to go to the event. But they had the voice of Minnie Mouse, the current voice of Minnie Mouse that I didn't get to see. Uh, Caitlin Robrock. And then she was going to be like at one thirty or 2, I think. And then the final guest speaker was going to be Eric Robison, who is a Disney artist, filmmaker, director. And I would have enjoyed that, but I mm -hmm. just, I could not stand around and wait for that. I'd already seen everything, you know. Mm -hmm. If if it had been cooler, I would have been fine right. to just hang out and talk to people and, you know, and just chill until the next guest speaker. I would have no issue with that. But I was so uncomfortable. So anyway, I also missed out on the raffle that I bought $20 worth of tickets for. But I, I, at first I was like, oh, that, I wasted my money. But then I reminded myself, oh, but that money goes to charity. So, right, so, right, right. so it doesn't matter. It's okay. Mm -hmm. And the chances of me having one are so small that, you know, mm -hmm. it was really about the charity more than the winning. It would have been nice mm -hmm. to win, but they also had a big grand prize. When you checked in, they gave everybody a ticket. Mm. And at the end of everything, they were going to draw a name and they didn't tell you what the prize was going to be. It was supposed to be a big surprise. 
but they said it's a big thing so make sure you stay so i mean i may have won mm -hmm. but i don't know right so you mean <laughs> if they would only give it to somebody who stayed yeah because they didn't get your name they just got your number like you didn't oh. put your name on it they just okay you got a ticket with the number they got a ticket with the number mm -hmm. so you matched mm -hmm. when they called the number you had to have the ticket matching the number they didn't have a way to contact you after the fact so i could have won something and i will mm -hmm. never know i there's mm -hmm. no way that i'll ever know i just noticed the music stopped playing i must have been rambling on for some time about <laughs> this that's okay we don't have to have music but uh, anyway, that is my experience. And I will say that if they ever have it at the Embassy Suites in Linwood, Washington, don't go. And it has nothing to do with the actual meetup. If they have it anywhere else, I recommend going. But if they, because I've only ever heard positive things about where they've had it in the past. I've never mm -hmm. heard anybody say anything but glowing reports. So go if you are able to and if you're in the area. And it's not at the Embassy Suites in Linwood, Washington. It's okay if, you, if the overnight is there. But if the actual event is held there, don't go. Please. Mm -hmm. I'm begging you. You will be <laughs> disappointed. And I personally will go again if it's held somewhere else. I'm hoping that enough people will complain that they'll do it somewhere else next year. Because mm -hmm. I will go again if they do it somewhere else. I won't stay overnight next time. Especially because they'll probably still do it at the Embassy Suites if they stay right. over. But mm -hmm. I will go and I, I will, I kind of know what the deal is. So I know that I can get there later in the day and it'll be okay. Because mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's not as much to see as, as I thought. So mm -hmm. you don't have to get there at the moment it opens. Mm -hmm. Right. And the first guest speaker wasn't till 11. So if you get there for that, you should be fine. So, mm -hmm. and they're also extending that eye line which I had to take the train to the I-Line. Mm -hmm. They're extending that I-Line all the way down to me. And that oh, so does... you wouldn't have to take the bus to right. that. Right, and that does run on the weekends. Mm -hmm. So I would be able to take that one thing almost all the way there. Because mm. it's coming... All the, and it's supposed to open within the next year or two. So when that happens, it would be very easy for me to get there... I could do it like in the morning on the day of the event and get home, you know, mm -hmm. you know. So anyway, that being said, that was my experience. Everybody's been curious to know. So A++ to the mouse meat itself. F minus 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 to the $300 <laughs> overpriced ridiculous That's a big hotel. extreme right there. <laughs> yeah, yes. <laughs> so that's why it's like hard to be like it's like what what do i say right because there were so many positive things but so many really negative things and it's not just it sounds like nitpicking but it's just because of how expensive it was and how it's just one thing after another after another after another but the air conditioning was absolutely insane 
mm-hmm. especially when I walked outside and it was cooler outside than it was inside. That was ridiculous. Yeah, that is. Hmm. So that is it. So we got music again. <laughs> I I was just going on. I didn't even notice that the music stopped. <laughs> That's okay. It's not important. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed our August 2023. Now, we did mention that we're going to alternate months. So every other month we're doing a dateline, and every other month we're doing a regular audio podcast. So this is the podcast for August. So next month we'll do a regular, um, you know, audio podcast topic. Mm-hmm. And... One of the people in that collage of artists is the topic. That's all I'm going to say. When we did the top 15 and we had the one thing was Disney artists and we Mm -hmm. had pictures of people, one of those pictures is our topic. That's, That's all I'll say. You know what I'm talking about, Ruthie, right? Yes, yes. Okay, okay. So, Ruthie, where can... And also, so then we'll be back in October for a special Halloween-themed dateline. And we have something fun Halloween-y to talk about because the recent movie release that uh, I'm going to try to see by then. Ruthie, have you seen it yet? The new Haunted Mansion film? I have not. We'll try to both see it by October. Yeah. So that we can talk about it on the next Dateline, because it'll be perfect for the for the Halloween episode. So that is our episode for August 2023. Join us next month for a regular show, the audio show. And also, in the meanwhile, we'll be releasing those music episodes that we've been doing throughout the year. We have a, we have the 90s, the 2000s, and then we have a special bonus episode of some of our personal picks that weren't included. So we have three more music episodes to go for the year. So we'll also probably do something special for the 100th anniversary of Disneyland because um, October... Of the Disney Walt Disney Company because October will be the official 100th birthday of Disney. And I'll probably also have another trip report Because in September, I'm going to the Walt Disney Family Museum. We have a lot to do. I might have to do my trip report as something separate. Because there's a lot to squeeze in for our October episode. There's so much that we need to cover that month. But Ruthie, you're waiting for me to say this to you, I know. You've got your little sheet in front of you. Ruthie, where can everybody find Jiminy Crickets on the web? You can listen to all of our past shows, including audio versions of Dateline Jiminy Crickets on our website, jcricketpodcast.blogspot.com. You can also listen to us on Apple Podcasts under the name Jiminy Crickets, that's with an exclamation point, and be sure to leave us a five-star review, which helps to promote the podcast. Over on our YouTube channel, we share updates to the Disney Chris website, including the Disneyland Magical Audio Tour as well as past episodes of the Jiminy Crickets podcast and Dateline Jiminy Crickets. You can find our channel if you search for DisneyChris.com, and remember, .com is spelled out D-O-T-C-O-M, and don't forget to subscribe and click on the notification bell. You, you can also join in the conversation over on our Facebook page, Jiminy Crickets Podcast, 
where you can not only interact with Chris and me and all the fellow cricketeers, but you can also stay up to date on all the latest details of our many worldwide web endeavors. On Facebook, Chris can be found under the name Chris Linden, that's L-Y-N-D-O-N, as in Lyndon Johnson, and on Twitter at DisneyChris73. If you would like to contact the show with your comments or questions, our email address is DisneyChrisDOTCOM at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. And on Twitch, I do a weekly live stream, Monday evenings, 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Atlantic, <laughs> Eastern, and um, uh, so it's live, so depending on your time zone, sometime between 4 and 7, it could be 6, it could be 5, depending on where you're located in the U.S., or it could be even later if you're somewhere else, but it's 4 p.m. Pacific time, America. So, um, and it is Disney Audio, and each week we have a theme. And to get to my Twitch channel, because you can also watch it there, the, the um, video is available after for one week to watch at your leisure if you can't join live. Go to Disney Chris underscore audio underscore fun. And I also have a new Facebook group that I created specifically for people interested in doing things with the new Twitch situation. And that group is called Disneyland Audio Fun. And the name of the podcast is actually, or the, the stream, is Disneyland Audio Fun. But they didn't let me use that name for the actual channel. So that's why it's Disney Chris for the for the URL, just so you know that. And then on Instagram, I'm Disney Chris underscore JC underscore podcast. And that is our official Instagram for all of our podcast activities, both Ruthie and I. And on there, we post all sorts of fun images, updates to what's going on with the podcast or my website. So check that out. And my website, speaking of, is disneychris.com and that's where i have all that music i utilize that during the live streams that's where we play the audio for the streams from and i have a disneyland section and just a general song of the year which is disney music in general disney parks movies everything and that's growing i'm adding a bunch of new stuff to that currently and then if you would like to help support all of our online activities, go to patreon.com slash DisneyChris. And you can get all sorts of free rewards and, well, not free, free is the wrong word. In exchange, you get rewards that I guess you're paying for. <laughs> but, I mean, it's icing on the cake because you're, you're not only helping us, you get something in return. So, um, consider that, and for as little as a dollar a month, every little bit helps, um, you can help support what we do here for free. This is free. And if you are not interested in dealing with Patreon for whatever reason, like I'm not interested in dealing with the Embassy Suites in <laughs> Linwood, um, you can also donate through PayPal. 
And um, they offer a monthly donation option, or you can make a one-time option and just make a, a one-time donation for whatever amount. But if you do the monthly, you get the same rewards you would get if you were a Patreon subscriber. So there's options. And we also have an online merch store and all sorts of other things you can do to help support us. And to get to all of those options, all in one place, you can click on all the links. Go to DisneyChris.com slash donate.html or just go to DisneyChris.com and on the menu at the top of the page, there is a donate um, option that you can click on. It'll take you to that same page. So that is our show, Ruthie. Do you have any final words for today? Yes, to quote Walt Disney, laughter is timeless, imagination has no age, dreams are forever. And to quote Pee Wee Herman, I know you are, but what am I? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Bye-bye, everybody. Now it's time to say goodbye to all our company. soon. K-E-Y. Why? Because we like you.